This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. everybody to Wrestling Omakase. It is episode number 169 and this week I am very pleased to be joined by a first-time guest, uh, Voice of Wrestling contributor Harley Duncan. Hi Harley. Hey Joan, how you going mate? Pretty good. Uh, yes, nighttime for me, morning for you. Always yep. wacky how time zones work. It uh, is. Where are you over there? Are you in Australia or New Zealand? I can never remember which. Uh, I'm Australian. Okay. Because uh, ha- I know we have one from both I think, right? I think I think we might have uh, Kevin, who might have been originally from New Zealand, but he's uh, over in Australia now. So, uh, and then we, of course, we got Liam, uh, yeah, who, who's Australian too. Okay, so I guess it is all Australia. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, unlike New Japan, which is mostly New Zealand. But... Yes, exactly right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I, you, you know, I'm very jealous that you get to watch these New Japan shows, like live at normal hours must be so great oh let me tell you when when night two came on yesterday for me uh at 3 p.m um it was on oh, 3 p.m on a sunday afternoon mind you it was uh it was it was literal heaven so now i'm a bit bit disappointed when we get to uh night three on wednesday i have to wait for the uh for the uh, terrible hours of 7:30 uh, p.m. at night, oh, very, watch it live. <laughs> very, very. My heart <laughs> breaks for you, but yeah I, yeah, I don't really. At this point, I don't really because of you know. Back in the day, I used to just stay up all night like a crazy person. Now it's like, well, you know, I have a a non, not nine to five, but a ten to six job, so it's like I can't really do that anymore. Yeah, so I do harder. I do it like for Wrestle Kingdom every year, and that's it. And I, I have to take vacation days to do that. So. <laughs> But yeah, you got you got to pick your battles. I think. Yeah, but anyway, welcome to the show. Uh, Thank pleased you. to have Thank you here. Having me. Uh, do you want to talk? I guess before actually we get into everything, do you want to talk a little bit about like your history with either Japanese wrestling or wrestling in general? Like, how'd you get into yeah, this stuff? Yeah, sure. So, um, I, I guess I, I got into wrestling in about two thousand three when I was uh, nine years old. My uh, my buddy Kai, uh, who, who's Japanese, funnily enough, um, he just got me into to watching. Smackdown, which was like coming on at Friday Friday nights at the time for Australia, um, and just and just throughout the years, you you know when you get a bit older, you become more and more um, 
disheartened with that with that company. Well, okay, to um, be, people always say this, but 2003 SmackDown still had some good stuff on it. Oh yeah, no, no, like, like I mean, I, I would I was watching when, when the when the lockdown first happened. I I got the network again and I started watching 2003 and 2004 yeah. um, pay per views and SmackDown. So and and that still holds up really well um, in terms of the match quality and and even just like certain things about it like they would op- smackdown would open with like a Rey mysterio tag match um which is you know a thousand times better than yeah a 20 minute promo yeah i don't know what i mean i people i guess differ on when it took like the giant nosedive to me it was like the late aughts i think is where it like uh, it like never comes back it never really recovers it recovers a little bit i guess like the shield stuff and daniel bryan and stuff but like i i think it's there's a trend line there where, like after like the late arts, it just it's never really the same to me. I, I would say it started getting for me really sort of bad when it just became like video screens everywhere. You couldn't like <laughs> you couldn't say belts, you couldn't you couldn't say, you know, wrestling. It, when it was just became so um, micromanaged and overproduced. Yeah. And I was like, this just looks like this this looks like shit and it sounds like shit. Uh, and then um, a guy when I was first becoming a uh, quote unquote smart in when I was about 14 so about 2008 uh, there was a YouTube guy that I would like watch reviews on and he reviewed um, the 2014 G1 so that was kind of my uh, introduction into knowing names and then um, when Jim Ross did Wrestle Kingdom 9 Mm. I um, watched that show and I fell in love with Shinsuke Nakamura yeah, so you're a Wrestle um, Kingdom, I, you're a Wrestle Kingdom Nine jump in. That's that's, yes, I, yes. that's like one we always talk about on, on the show, like where New Japan gets people, and I, I always find it so fascinating. And like Wrestle Kingdom Nine with that JR call is like always, it's like one of the big, big ones. So, yeah, that's a, and I think yeah. I think I think that was a big one to get people actually onto the show. But I think that Nakamura match was the one that kept people coming. Yeah, because I because after that I went back and I watched his entire G one twenty fourteen, uh, and then I just I just kept watching from there, and then obviously he left. So and that that was sort of just around the time where uh, Ingobernable Nardo started cooking. Um, so and he and he without him I don't think without him or Lij I, I I don't think I would have had enough to really sink my teeth into. But then you know when you when you've got that one guy you can really hit your wagon to. You start falling in love with you know the Tomohiro issues of the world and and those sort of guys and you just you just watch everything. Yeah, it's a it's really like the Nakamura to Naito thing is really real too. I feel like, like a lot of people took that path as far oh, really? as like yeah, a lot, I feel like a lot of Naito fans were also really big Nakamura fans. They're very they they I guess they're at similar positions in New Japan at the time I guess because Nakamura also was like that kind of one B kind of guy with the intercontinental and then you know i don't know naito i mean no one no one knows what the answer to this is what what nakamura would have done if he stayed and how that would have i mean it would have been really interesting to see naito oh. and nakamura active at the same time you know I, I i think i think actually nakamura leaving affects affected omega more than than naito yeah that's probably that, i'm being, that, that, I'm being that honest that could be true um, but who, i mean that you know that's Crazy how that's nearly five years ago now. Yeah, I know. Time <laughs> time waits for no uh, man. Crazy, crazy stuff. Uh, but yeah, so that's a the 2015 one though. That is like a big one. I feel I feel like as far as what I've noticed, because you know, 
I've been watching this stuff way way too fucking long. As far as like what the the jumping in points were, it feels like the big ones were G1 2013 because that was the first year they were all on Ustream. Uh, yeah, like a lot of people jumped in there. The Wrestle Kingdom Nine with JR, a lot of people jumped in there. The obviously Wrestle Kingdom Eleven with you know Kenny and uh, yeah. Okada, a lot of people jumped in there. And then Wrestle Kingdom Twelve because of uh, you know the Kenny Jericho match, and then you know I don't know people just a lot of people seem to jump in there too. It's like those are the really big ones, I think. So yeah, yeah, it's. I think I think you're right with those. I mean, for I, the foreigners yeah, anyway. I don't know what I wonder what it would be for Japanese fans. That would be interesting. It would. I would think that if you're a Japanese fan, you would be. I mean, this is just this is just a theory, but you. I think you would be. I don't think you'd be a brand spanking new fan without having like a family member enjoy it. Or, well, well or, now, or, well now it's on TV, so maybe, yeah, exactly. maybe, yeah, maybe they're finally getting. Well, some, maybe it's going to change. Yeah, yeah. I haven't heard, really heard anything about how that TV slot is doing. So for people, for people who don't know what I'm talking about, they got, um, they basically went from a uh, a pretty bad time slot on their weekly World Pro Wrestling like one hour show on a channel called BSSIE to like a really good one like a primetime slot that happened i believe april april or may it was like right in the middle of the pandemic yeah which is like, it was uh, announced at, um i think it was announced around the dome it was announced in, like, i think it was new beginning in osaka i think right because i remember it was like they've just done seventy thousand people at the dome um the, the, you know they're selling out of sakura hall in february and now they've just got this awesome new time slot like they're on fire and yeah. then they shut down for six months or yeah. what but I think four, we, four, we talked about it at the time, so I'm not going to go through the minutia of explaining how Japanese TV works again. But a lot of people get that network. It's not as good, obviously, as being on primetime on the broadcast slot, which is still, or the broadcast network, which is still, like, I think midnight or something, or even after that. But, like, it's, like, the next best thing. I mean, a lot of people get it. It's a free network. Uh, you know, it's it's I, it'd probably be similar to being on... Hmm. I don't know what the American comparison would be. A network lots of people get, but isn't considered like a top tier network. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> the TV, the TV like setup in America is so different compared to the TV setup in Japan, so it's hard to really directly compare them. But I'm, I think I read like now that like eighty percent of the, the country or more gets this channel now. So oh, definitely. well, yeah, that's exponentially better. Yeah. So I mean, they are obviously in prime time a lot for their live shows on the. Uh, TVSIE Channel 2, but that's a different tier of network, basically, that you have to subscribe to specifically, you know. So a lot less people get that. I think it's like probably like, for, you know, I'm totally guessing here, but probably like 15 to 20% at most. So anyway, that's, uh, <laughs> I don't know why we got why we got on <laughs> that, but, you know. It's a six-month-old TV, uh, <laughs> Japanese TV. Uh, you'll... <laughs> but yeah, I assume that they are probably they they probably must be getting some new fans just from people turning through the dial and seeing it. So, uh, but yeah, before that, you're probably right. It's probably mostly like friends and family of people who are already into it. Uh, you know, word of mouth. Um, well, well, it's funny you say that because my uh, my friend who got me into wrestling, um, he uh, when we, when we went to Japan uh, a few years ago, uh, I asked him because I didn't see any New Japan promotion around you know, when we were in Tokyo or, or Osaka. And I was like, how do people know, like, it's getting bigger. How do people know what it is? And he's he's just like, it's just word of, it's mostly just word of mouth. Um, 
and, and just family people getting other family into it and friends getting other friends into it. Now, I know they do they do a big advertising campaign every year around Wrestle Kingdom now where, like, they take over. I know this past year for sure they took over, like, a lot, train of, station. A lot of Yamanote line trains, which yeah. for people who don't know Japanese train lines, that's, like, the train line in Tokyo. Like, it does a big loop around all the major districts, so or most of the major districts. So you know that's uh that I mean I'm sure that, I'm sure that helped I'm sure that reads somebody yes I, well that's only about two years old I'm pretty sure yeah like that or the two Wrestle Kingdoms old I should say yeah uh so you know I'm sure there's it, it, like it probably is mostly word of mouth but it looks like there's other ways to do it now too it is funny you said that you don't see any wrestling stuff when I was in Tokyo I saw a shit ton of wrestling stuff but I realized in hindsight it's because like I'm in Tokyo for like uh you know, G1 Climax weekend or something. And it's like, yeah, right. of course, there's just tons of wrestling fans all around Tokyo during this period who are wearing their shirts and stuff. Even if they're not going to the show because they're or not going to the show right that moment because they're just in Tokyo, you know? But Yeah, yeah. well, as saying that, this was also, you know, probably around 2016 mm. when it was still getting bigger, but it was nowhere near as big as it is now. Yeah, I went in 2016 and 2017. I felt like I could see a difference from one okay. year to the next. So, uh, and then 20, then when I went in 2019, uh, I felt like yeah, I, I didn't. So when I went in 2019, I went to the Best of Super Junior final, which you know wasn't nearly, if not as big, nearly as big of a deal as a G1, obviously. So you know, I felt like not seeing quite as many shirts or stuff really wasn't that surprising. But then Osaka for Dominion, I mean, then you saw it everywhere around the city, uh, you know, during those few days I was there. So, but yeah, uh, I don't know. <laughs> We're still really, really off topic. So, but that was a fun little, fun little 10 minutes here. Uh, before we get into the topics today, uh, I have to do a couple things. First of all, I said I would give the results of the G1 Climax fancy draft from two weeks ago. So if people listen to that one, uh, these are the final results. We did uh, ranked voting, so you could pick anything from first to third. Uh, you got uh, whoever you voted for first got five points. Uh, second place got three points, and third place got two points. So that's what these point totals are. I uh, got a lot of people voting, so thank you to everybody that listened and voted. If you didn't hear the episode, I guess this won't be much to you, but you know, I said we'd do it right when the real G one opens. So uh, in last place, I'll do it last to first. Last place is Andy with 50 points. Uh, Andy, uh, congratulations on getting married, buddy. Sorry you finished last. Uh, second to last, fifth place was Suit with 56 points. Uh, he was, like, doing really well in the early vote tally, which surprised me because I did not think a non all, almost all non-Japanese G1 except for Master Wato was going to be uh, very popular with the Omakase listeners. But I don't know. his vote. He did really, really well in the early voting. It was, like, right on my heels and then, uh, well, I guess I just gave away that I won. But anyway, <laughs> uh, right on my heels. But, like, uh, you know, he really fell off after that. So, sorry, Suit. Uh, good try. Fourth place was Kelly with 62 points. Third was Paul with 65. Second was Sean with 67. So, all three of them really bunched up together there. And then I was in first place with 80 points. Uh, I don't know. I can't really, I don't feel weird, like, patting myself on the back. But good job, me, I guess. I definitely ran away with this one. Kind of wire to wire, too. So, I don't know. People like my G1. I probably have a national advantage, too, being the show host that's on here every week. But what are you going to do? 
But yes, those are the G1 uh, Fantasy Draft poll results. If you didn't listen to the episode, of course, it's in the archives. It was from two weeks ago. Uh, I believe the number's 167, but can't keep track anymore with all the extra Patreon episodes. Uh, but yes, definitely from two weeks ago, definitely in the archives, so check it out. It was a really good time. Uh, and speaking of the Patreon, the other thing I need to mention is the Omakase Patreon. So, you know, if you enjoy the tournament coverage we're going to be giving you here today, uh, we're going to be doing the first two nights of the G1 and the second night of the N1. Uh, there's already a, a bunch of, or two episodes actually, uh, Patreon-exclusive tournament episodes uh, from Tuesday, where we did the third night of the Champion Carnival, and then from Friday, when we did the opening night of the N1. So if you want to hear my thoughts on both those shows, those are on the Patreon right now. It's only $5 to sign up. And, you know, I had a lot of things to say about the uh, Ashino-Miyahara match and All Japan's booking in general. So, very impassioned rant on that, which you can check out on the Patreon. And a lot of very positive things to say about the first night of the N1, which was awesome. So, those are both on the Patreon right now. Uh, in addition to your extra, your $5 also gets you a ton of stuff coming up, because we're going to continue covering all these tournaments on the Patreon, too. So, tomorrow, Monday, the 21st, we'll be having an all, we'll do All Japan's Champion Carnival Night 4 from Corrigan. Uh, Tuesday has Noah's M1 Victory Night 3 from Corrigan. Uh, and then Wednesday's a humongous day with three shows on one day. The G1 Climax Night 3 from Sapporo, the N1 Victory Night 4 and Night 5, or whatever you want to call it, the Corrigan Doubleheader with two shows. Uh, I'll have a guest on that. Thomas Fishback will be back, a uh, long-time Omakase guest, and we'll be doing it as like a uh, Patreon-exclusive full episode of Omakase covering all three shows. So that'll be up on Wednesday. And then Thursday, the New Japan G1 Night 4 from Sapporo. So just tons of stuff coming up on the Patreon this week. Uh, you know, I definitely think it's worth your five bucks. Uh, again, very biased, but I think we're putting out a lot of great audio content. And you get not just all that stuff, of course. You get everything else we do on there. Uh, all the Patreon-exclusive five-matches episodes, uh, all the one-match episodes I do where I cover uh, a match and, like, all the different stuff surrounding it. We did the entire Okada Tanahashi series, the entire Naito Ishii series, so those are both a lot of fun to do. We did some other random ones that were picked by guests, or picked by uh, patrons. So uh, you get Anime Omakase, which, you know, people really seem to enjoy. So tons of stuff on there. Only $5. Uh, you know, sign up now at patreon.com slash wrestlingomakase. All right. So with the plug out of the way, we can get into what we're here to talk about, which is two shows from the G1 and one show from the N1. Uh, we'll start with the G1. Uh, I'm assuming that's why most people are here, honestly. So always makes sense to start with New Japan. Uh, I, I assume I don't have to go over the rules or anything for the G1. I assume most people know how the G1 works, but I guess very quickly, just in case, uh, you have two blocks of 10 people each. You get two points for a win, one point for a time limit draw. They're all 30-minute time limit matches. And zero points for a loss, a double counter, or a double DQ. Uh, the blocks this year, A Block, Kota Ibushi, Jeff Cobb, Kazuchika Okada, Tomihiro Ishii, Will Ospreay, Shingo Takagi, Minoru Suzuki, Taichi, Jay White, and Yujiro Takahashi. The B Block, Hiroshi Tanahashi, Juice Robinson, Hiroki Goto, Toriano, Yoshihashi, Tetsuya Naito, Sonata, Zack Sabre Jr., Kenta, and Evil. Uh, they went with a full 19-day tournament this year, which I know surprised some people. So, But the one, one concession they did make to the... Uh, 
the the pandemic era is they did away with the undercard tag. So we only have each night. It's, it's still split blocks. So, you know, A block night and B block night. But instead, in, instead of, as we've seen in past years, since they did the split block format, where you'd have the tag matches with the B block guys and the A block shows and vice versa, they got rid of those. So all you got is the five tournament matches and the one, uh, one Young Lion match each night to start the show. So I guess, Harley, what do you think of that change? I think it seems to be getting universally positive reception. Well, I, I mean, we've already spoken about my uh, time zone advantage. So the, 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 t- the undercard tags never were a massive issue for me. But, I mean, a two-hour a two or two-hour 15 um, New Japan show is, is just so much more easily digestible. I think if you – especially if you're going to watch all 19 of these shows. Um, and I don't, I don't need to see – I don't need to see Yano set up the, the, the wacky, the wacky um, bullshit he's going to pull the next night in a six-man tag. I don't really need to see. Um, yeah, can I can, I, know, can I just say something? Like, like the people act like, oh, you know, you're losing a lot here by not. Like, I have seen this take. Like, people be like, well, you're losing uh, the setup the previous night. The fucking wrestlers in the beat in the other block barely even tagged into these matches. Like, they just would let their partners who are not in the G1 work the entire thing. So I don't really, I don't think we're losing anything, honestly. Maybe right. the maybe the promos, maybe that's about it. Like the right. The the only time I think I was ever interested in those undercard tags is when in, in twenty eighteen was when Naito and Sonata teamed with each other every night, but they were in the same block, so they eventually had to wrestle each other. And every night, you know, they were fist bumping until the night before their match, where they actually did something. I think that's the only time it was ever interesting, but. That was just circumstantial. That's not just that wasn't anything really to do with how good these, you know, undercard tags are. Yeah, I don't miss them at all. So I'm definitely on that side. I mean, like I said, nobody. If Naito was working on, you know, a tag, he, there was there were nights where like he would tag in for maybe a minute and like tag right back out. And it's like, you know, these tours are hard enough on him. They don't got, they're not going to do anything in these tags. No. So, uh, you know, I get the only thing I get is like you know obviously. The live fans, it's like, you know, if you're buying a ticket, you want to see the stars from both blocks. But, like, so many of these cities are getting both blocks anyway. They're getting yeah, like two... they're, they're, double, they're double headers. Yeah, they're getting two nights. So, you know, I assume that's, why, I assume that's why they did that. Because it seems like, you know, I never remember in the past, like, I mean, obviously Osaka usually does get a double header. But, like, Sapporo... Yeah, three shows this year, but... Yeah, that's true. They get three shows this year. Sapporo usually does not get a double header, I don't think. Uh, Hiroshi... No, Hiroshima... Yeah, Hiroshima almost never gets a double header. Um, trying to think. I mean, like then you've got places like Takamatsu, who probably lucky to see it one anyway. Right. It's like, yeah, um, I was that's the exact point I was going to make. If you live in fucking Takamatsu, you're probably just happy to see a G one show. You're probably not like, where's the other block? So I don't know. Yeah, exactly. And, and funnily enough, I'm pretty sure they got an A block show. So <laughs> I mean, yeah, Takamatsu. Uh, they gotta, they gotta, like, they gotta. If Takamatsu's complaining, they gotta uh, look up where they live. <laughs> it's like <laughs> you live in Takamatsu. Be happy. I just want to see now because I'm curious who got double cities. So Kobe only got one, but Kobe, Kobe is like Osaka, right? Yeah, so Kobe's like really- Kobe's like 25 minutes from Osaka. So if those yeah. fans want to see the other block, they can easily go to Osaka. Uh, Nigata got one, I guess that, but they got their. Their Sun Sonata, so I guess they're fine. Yeah. Uh, Hiroshima got two. Okayama got one. They're definitely in Be Thankful territory. 
Nagoya yeah. only got one. That's a little surprising. Nagoya's a big city. Nagoya get a lot of shows in, in, anyway. Like they just got a show. Yeah. And I know, I know you can make the argument Osaka just got a show. Yeah. But I mean, Nagoya gets a lot of shows anyway. Um, yeah. Did they? They got A block or B block? Let me say. I think they got A. Uh, oh no, they got B. It's a little surprising. But they did get the they they did get Naito Evil, which is a big main event. And oh Tom, my goodness! And but when Nagoya just got uh, Evil Hiromu, <laughs> that's two months ago. So yeah, maybe they are a little hard done by. <laughs> I I like that match. Excuse you. So did I. I gave it <laughs> that's exactly I gave what it I. I think that's exactly what I gave it to. Uh, Hamamatsu only got one, but again, you're Hamamatsu. And oh, I think it's a little surprising. Yeah. Shizuoka oh, usually get a couple of, like don't they usually get a Shizuoka City and then a Hamamatsu that's true maybe maybe uh, the other one got cut because they're doing all these extra shows and uh <laughs> in all these other cities yeah. and then last but last but not least Yokohama again if they want to see the other block they can hop a train and go to Sumo Hall or Korokin it's not like Yokohama is so close to Tokyo so you know yeah exactly but yeah there you go we did our little geography lesson uh, but yeah, so the one block thing does not bother me at all. That's, I guess, the, the final message here. Uh, the first of the two nights, the first night of the G1, was Saturday, September 19th at the Edion Arena Osaka in the A block. Uh, before I even get into the, any of the matches, I have to say, I've heard other people say this, very true, the Osaka crowd, they were awesome here. I mean, did... Just run all their shows out of Osaka. Like, they were awesome last year. They're awesome every single time. It's it's um, it's um definitely the, the uh, common denominator that makes these shows. Yeah. I mean, it's just a very... Uh, it's a very it's always been a great city for them, honestly. I mean, I, I feel like it kind of dropped off a little bit in the last couple of years, but man, were they... They were up for the show, and they were about as good of a... As good as a clap, cra- a clap crowd can be. <laughs> you know, they... There were times where I thought they were actually, you know, making a little bit of noise that they were not supposed to be making, but, uh... I think, I think in one match, they definitely couldn't help themselves. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know. Uh, they were, they were a great crowd, though. Uh, start with the Young Line Open here, which was Yota Suji versus Yuya Urimura. Uh, the result here was Uemura winning in 6.57 with the Boston Crab. Uh, this was about what you would expect, a fine little young lion match, a fun little opener. Uh, I would recommend watching it, especially since it was pretty short anyway. Uh, and again, the crab is very into it, which always helps. But, uh, you know, went about three stars on it. You know, nothing like you're going to kick yourself if you missed it, but uh, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I would even just watch this for, um, for Suji's hair. Suji said, "That's true. He's the big fluffy hair he has now. He is he is looking very good, and it's gotten to the point where I can't even remember what he used to look like. Um, and it, his face just looks a little different to me too. Maybe he's just getting older. Well, he shaved too, I think. Oh, that's it. Yeah, yeah. that must be it. But yeah, he looked good. So, uh, match number two was the first tournament match of the year in the A block. Will Osprey defeating Yujiro Takahashi in seven thirty four with the Stormbreaker." Uh, so I'm not going to repeat myself about Will Ospreay every week. I know, you know, everybody, it's very awkward. Uh, you know, there was a, there was, there's a pair of articles that Emily Pratt wrote that I would highly recommend, honestly. I know not everybody loves that recommendation, but I thought she did a really good job with them, and, you know, I, I would recommend reading them. I mean, I would prefer if Will it wouldn't be here. He is here. We're going to talk about his matches, but, uh, you know, 
it is what it is. I don't know what else to say about it, really. But well, I think I think Trevor Dame said it perfectly on Twitter that um you you can absolutely separate the guy from from the art here, and because if, if you like his matches, it doesn't mean you like him as a person. Yeah. Like I've never I've never rooted for Will Osprey ever. Like yeah. like he's never a guy that I, I like fist pump when he wins. You know, a big match like. Yeah, I just enjoy the, the matches, and I, that's why I don't think I probably go five or four three quarters on really any of his matches because I don't have that emotional connection to him. But I mean, I under I like he can he can shit out a four to four and a half star match anytime, and I, you know, he's not my favorite guy in the world. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's just uh, I, I've seen I've seen a lot of people say they're going to skip his matches. I totally get that. Um, you know, if if I didn't do this show reviewing them, I would probably be pretty tempted to too, but uh, but yeah, I get it. Like you, you know, there is a, the thing of separating art from the artist. Uh, you know, it's just everybody's going to deal with this their own way. I, you know, the only thing I don't I don't love is I'm sure what's the the nice way to say this. If you don't want to, if you personally don't want to watch New Japan anymore over this, that's fine. I find the the level of like telling other people they shouldn't be watching and like moralizing to them to be kind of obnoxious especially like from the perspective of like how much of our culture and how much of our entertainment is as bad as new japan you know handled this or much worse in other cases like first of all if you are a wwe network subscriber and you're telling anybody else they have to cancel new japan world and can't watch new japan anymore uh you're gonna fucking need to I don't even know what you're like as big a hypocrite as Mitch McConnell. Cause like <laughs> that company oh. is the, is a million times worse. I mean, they right. just fucking, they just fucking hired uh God, what the hell is his name? The evolved pervert. Uh, um, I want to, <laughs> who cares what he's not? I don't even care what he's name. but uh, <laughs> like, it doesn't matter. Like, yeah, exactly. Right. And, and I don't think you can expect people to actually know about a lot of well, this. Yeah, like, that's true it, too. If it wasn't for voices of wrestling, I don't think I would know because I'm not very deep into the, yeah, independent scene at all, um, and also like, didn't I don't want to say names or, or or anything, but aren't there aren't there people in New Japan that have done worse? Than, uh, than... I don't know. Maybe maybe yeah. I don't know. Maybe it depends, I mean, on, depends on what you would define as worse. I mean, Chase I'm Owens of, is still there. Well, Chase Owens is. I'm thinking of one one guy in particular, someone else in particular, um, yeah. who uh, talks in a pretty low husk. Yeah. Um, so like, yeah, it's just, if you don't like Will Ospreay, you don't like Will Ospreay, but that's not, I just feel like if at some point this stuff always feels like punishing yourself, you know, like just making yourself not watch New Japan. It's like, if you want to pirate it instead of giving them your $9 a month, that's, that's fine too. But like, I don't know. There's a, there's a degree of like self punishment that feels, uh, not really worth it when you look at just how much of our society and our culture is just filled with like like there is you know no ethical consumption under capitalism that whole thing like if, if you're gonna move to a hut in the middle of nowhere that i you could have a you know maybe a completely ethical life but otherwise uh you know i mean what what it, it's not i'm not trying to make it sound like you shouldn't do nothing i mean definitely i think the the letter writing campaign people did where they were sending in messages to new japan directly is a great idea but you know there's a level of like you shouldn't punish yourself i guess is the best thing I can say about it. But yeah, I'm not going to go into this every single week. I just wanted to, I guess, say it again because we're going to talk about his match here. Uh, about Will Ospreay's match before we get into the actual match as well. 
Uh, Osprey's wearing his Revolution Pro British Heavyweight title here. So that brought the question to me. Does that spoil the result of the match he has coming up on their next tape show with, uh, God, Kyle Fletcher, I think? Because uh, that was taped already. So either either this, that spoils this match, you know, that Osprey's going to retain, or this is a WCW 1993 situation where he's winning a title that he already lost on a taping, and he just ha- is still wearing it because him losing it hasn't aired yet. So he's going to mail the belt back from the UK or back to the UK from Japan after they air him losing it. Is that what's going to happen? Uh, I mean, I, really, who gives a shit about the British Airway title anyway? But it's just really kind of funny. I know. I, I, I would say, I would absolutely say who gives a shit about the British Heavyweight title. But I have a feeling it's going to be like a mainstay on Tokyo Dome cards. Yeah. Um, it's been on the last two, especially if Osprey. I mean, I think, I think, I think Osprey. I think I think it's just a, I think it's a spoiler of the next of that car of that car Fletcher match. To be honest, I really don't like the British title being involved in New Japan this much. I don't know because it feels like, I, like especially during the Tanahashi Zach thing, it was like, why does Tanahashi even want this belt? It's like he doesn't he doesn't go to Red Pro that often. He doesn't have any like special connection to Britain. I, I just seem very. It always seemed weird to me that like Japanese wrestlers were like you know Suzuki and Ishii did, did it too, and it's like. Like why do they care? I don't really understand. But like, why are they? Why are they this into a, winning a Rev Pro belt? It was always well, really weird to me. It's kind of like when Ishii won the um, Ring of Honor TV title, and didn't he cut the cut a backstage promo afterwards saying, "I don't really know what this is." Yes. Anyway. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But but they but that that was really funny and and also pretty stupid. But then that now they just do that all the time with this British title, and it's like well. I don't know. Either make it a New Japan title or send it back to Britain and, like, get the fuck off New Japan shows. Just seems very, uh... I don't know. It's, it, like, if you're a New Japan viewer like me and, like, most people, I'm sure, who doesn't watch Revolution Pro, you must just... It, it feels like you're always going to be like, why does this matter? Like, why am I supposed to care about this? So, I don't know. Uh, but, yeah, the match itself? Uh, oh, the match itself, yeah. Um, like, pretty good. Yeah, I mean... It's a three-and-a-half-star match. Like, it was better than what Okada got out of Yujiro. I'll say that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I went three-and-a-quarter. I thought it was pretty good. Like you said, especially on the Yujiro scale. Um, the the thing I would say about this match, though, like, they they spent all this time hyping up, like, muscular heavyweight Will, uh, you know, and, like, makes you think he's going to wrestle a different style. And he pretty much wrestled the exact same style he always wrestles. Like, I didn't notice anything... Uh, did you notice him doing anything different? I really didn't notice anything different. No, not really. And I actually thought the Stormbreaker kind of looked kind of not as good as it has looked in the past when he's done it on Juniors. Yeah. Um, so, who knows? Who knows how, how his weights have been going? Yeah. But there there were some cool spots here. Like, uh, you know, when Will went for, like, the Stormbreaker the first time and Yudro, like, got out of it and, like, kind of tried to backslide him. Uh, but I thought he was going to go for a pin. He kind of tried to, like, awkwardly transition into the Pimp Juice but uh, Will got out of it. But then, like, there was this... Will, like, hit this big flying kick, and Yujiro, like, pulled him right back in for a big, like, Olympic slam, which I don't know if that's one of his normal signature moves because he has, like, 500 of them. But uh, it is always really funny to me that a wrestler who never wins any matches has, like, 500 finishers and signature moves. It's like, why does Yujiro Takahashi need all these different moves? I do not understand it. Well, you know, he's a bad wrestler because he's got no connective tissue at all. He's only got his moves. Yeah, exactly. So, um, uh, I think that one spot where Will landed on his feet into the hidden blade, I think that was pretty spectacular. Yeah. 
so um, like that was after Udra, like he, he hit the Miami shine, yet another uh, signature move that got like a really close two point nine count, and you know, Will I guess deserves some credit for letting the world believe Yujiro Takahashi might beat him. Uh, but then when like you know Yujiro hit that big lariat one for another one of his five hundred signature moves, like you said, Osprey landed on his feet. And then he hits that hidden blade, you know, diving form or whatever when Yujiro landed in a, in a uh, seated position. And then he just followed up right away with the Stormbreaker for the pin. Was a pretty damn good finish. And, uh, you know, I, yeah, three and a quarter is what I felt, though, because I didn't think there was a ton to it otherwise. Yeah, um, I really hated the promo afterwards. <laughs> yeah, the promo um, sucked. I thought, it was, I thought it was extremely 2016 Omega. Um, but I didn't think... It was. I I, I liked I liked cleaner Kenny Omega. Uh, I didn't think this was nearly as good no. as those type of promos. I think all of Will's promos sound a lot like he is trying to sound like a wrestler. He's not like all of his. You know. Oh yeah, Will. Like yeah. They, it very. Um, it sounds like fake tough guy. It sounds very fake. I mean, the thing with Will, with with this promo, um, people thought maybe he was being heelish. I don't think he was. I think he's just bad at doing a promo. Like, I think his delivery was so bad that this promo sounded heelish because it sounded fake. It didn't sound like he, like, when he's like, I was nervous, but I looked in the mirror and realized I'm Will Ospreay, the best wrestler in the world right now. It didn't sound like he was believed it it just sounded like it was you know something he was saying because he wanted to say it uh you know which is a heel thing to do to say that you think you're the best wrestler when you don't actually think you're the best wrestler so he could have said that line but he put he puts on that like inflection in his voice yeah and i really hate it it just it really bugs me now i will say saying new japan's been good during the pandemic era but so much better now that i'm back that is kind of a heelish line, I guess. Or like, I don't think he meant it to be one, but it came off like, like with the smirk on his face. It was like, okay, buddy, I didn't, I, should, I didn't miss you that much. Yeah, neither, neither did I really. But maybe he should just lean into being like an arrogant, sort of cocky um, foreigner. Yeah, maybe. maybe. Maybe that's. I mean, I his matches will get him cheered, I think. But yeah. who knows? I mean the Japanese. The Japanese crowd, you have to say, was very happy to see him. They were happy to see all the returnees. Though they're happy to see Jay White. Yeah, like, I don't know. they're very into Jay White too. And so, yeah, it wasn't definitely going to get to that. But yeah, so you know, he just says this G one's about being the one. But you're looking at him and drops the mic, like you said, very corny stuff. Wasn't really very into it. So what are you going to do? But uh, you know, that was Will Ospreay. Uh, the next match in much more positive developments. Tai Chi defeating Jeff Cobb in 1247 with the Black Mephisto. Uh, I really like before the match, like when Tai Chi is getting uncomfortably close to Marty Asami during the uh, during the lip sync, and Marty like starts raising a ha- raising his hand up, like "Please, sir, please leave me alone." <laughs> Just very funny. Tai Chi um, was really good before the bell in this match. Like, can you remember when he was unrobing? And he still had the that little pouch that has the glove in it, uh-huh. and he, he was like sort of squaring up to go. I'm like, you know, ring the bell, ring the bell, and he still had it around his waist, like just trying to get away with it. Oh yeah, I thought, I thought that was a very funny, like <laughs> really small little tight detail. Yeah. Uh, the match itself, I would say, 
I really I like this a lot. I mean, they, I thought they had good chemistry last year too, so I wasn't too surprised. But it definitely was a really good start to the tournament for both guys. Um, so Taichi started by stalling a bit, uh, and then he grabbed the timekeeper hammer and nailed Cobb with it when he walked over. Uh, that was pretty much his only bout of cheating in the entire match. So I think he went for I think he either went for a low blow or hit a low blow. But I mean, really, if people were worried Taichi was going to do a ton of bullshit or interference, that that didn't help happen at all. So. Uh, but yeah, he he went after Cobb's leg. He was like stretching it over the railing. Uh, you know, he he went after a little bit, but it really didn't turn to a leg match or anything. Uh, we got the five minute call with Taichi still stomping on it, um, and he started with like these these mocking kicks, which I always love when he does them. Like the the very not quite hard not to be a hard kick, just more like more mockery than anything, and it like draw it drew Cobb back up to his feet, uh, and then Cobb finally came back with some elbow shots and. A big lariat to put Taichi down. Um, the probably the the best part of the match for me was you know obviously after Taichi like uh, you know pulled off the pants, which the crowd clapped extra loud to signal their approval of, which I liked a lot. Uh, but this is where Cobb really got to do is like really show off some of his stuff, where you know Cobb catches his leg on a super kick, he like pulls him up from there right under his shoulders and hits an attitude adjustment or fu whatever you want to call it. And then a big standing moonsault, so he gets to show off his agility, too. And that gets a close 2.9 count. And then everything after this was awesome. Uh, Cobb went for the tour of the islands. Taichi did a great roll-up into a really close near fall. Uh, Here's where he did push the ref and go for the low blow. But Cobb did not get hit by it. He, like, pushed him away. Uh, But then Taichi came right back with a huge, dangerous backdrop. Dropped him right on his head. Uh, Just an awesome sequence. And then... Taichi hits an axe bomber and goes for his last ride power bomb, and then Cobb like sneaks out of it and like transitions really seamlessly into these two awesome rolling gut wrench suplexes, which is not a spot you see every day, and it looked really impressive here. Uh, he tried to go right into a doctor bomb from there, but Taichi like dropped out of it. I'd love to see Cobb finish with that, like finish a match, like beat a Yuji over somebody with the two gut wrench suplexes and the doctor bomb because it looked really cool. I'm sure it would look even cooler if he actually hits the Dr. Bomb at the end. Uh, Cobb came back with like a big falling slam. He tried for the tour of the items again. Taichi got out of it. Hit a series of kicks, a super kick, and then finally the Black Mephisto for the pin. So he beats Cobb, you know, pretty much completely clean. I mean, other than that, those hammer shots at the very start, I guess, want to hold it against him. But yeah, I thought this took a little bit to get going, but once it did, it, it ruled a lot. Uh, I would go three and three quarters. Didn't quite go the f- full four, but I liked it a lot. Yeah, I really liked this one too. There was I, I went three and a half, but on the complete other end of the three and a half spectrum as the as not the opener as the as the block opener. Mm-hmm. I think this people always say is like the idea of Cobb is actually better than Cobb itself. But if this is going to be Cobb, you know he's going to have his third match from the top, um, ten minute G one match. Then I'm this is completely fine with me. Yeah, I thought Cobb looked great here. Honestly, I mean, everybody knows yeah, I love everybody knows I love Taichi. I thought Taichi was great, but Cobb looked, you know, he looked better than he has in a while to me. And I thought the crowd was really into both these guys too. Yeah, I think more, so more so than Cobb usually. Like, I think remember that first tag league when Cobb first came in and he did some really cool um, power stuff and he and he got himself over. I think this is the first time where he's people have actually kind of been impressed with some of his his stuff. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just um, they haven't seen them for so long, but it, it felt like it felt 
this sort of felt like a cob, not a coming out party, but definitely I'm a bigger deal than I have been before. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think so too. So I'll watch we'll him see. get six points. Now, so. <laughs> I think he might actually end up with like six points in this block, but I guess we'll see. Uh, the next match, Minoru Suzuki defeating Tomohiro Ishii in 13 minutes. In 13 minutes, I don't know what I just said. With the Gosh-style pile driver. Uh, I mean, I don't know what else to say about this one except they beat each other's fucking asses. I mean, Jesus Christ, this match. <laughs> this was um, this was awesome. Yeah, this is this is G one season, baby. We are here. I mean, they. We are, we are, yeah, <laughs> this, just like it was. This was better than some of their other matches. Yeah, and maybe maybe it's because Suzuki was legitimately pissed off. He wasn't in it last year. But, well, man, Suzuki's also been awesome all year long too. So. He's, been awesome also, he's been awesome all year. He's been awesome actually ever since last year's G One. Yeah, really. yeah. Um, he was man. He it's like he just came out to prove something. He 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 was like saying, you know, the fuck you, the Okada and Abushi, like follow this. Yeah, and you know, no one could. It was it, it was so good. This really was like perfect G One, perfect never sort of match. Yeah, in 13 minutes, you know, it was a, it was a total sprint. They basically just never stopped beating on each other. There oh, was a, that, that sequence. Well, there <laughs> was a there was a great spot, right? Yeah, right at the start where like, yeah, they start each other by immediately elbowing each other in the face like as hard as they can. But there was a spot after that I really liked where like Ishii gets the edge briefly and he like runs into Suzuki in the corner. But Suzuki like climbs out onto the apron with his legs, like, right as his... Like, basically... I mean, climbing out with his legs. Most people do that. But, like, upside down, basically. And, like... Yeah, like slip- tarantulas, kind of. I'm sorry, what'd you say? Like, like a tra- like the Sort of like how he d- sets up for the tarantula? Exactly, yeah. yeah. And then he got the tarantula when she ran in, like, grabbed him from there right into the arm bar. And it's like, the shit this man is able to do a 52 is... Ri- yeah, ridiculous. I mean, like, that was... That was just some crazy shit when he did that spot. I was like, how the hell is he still... Does this man still move this well? It's really, it is really crazy. Uh, Some of those head spot, uh, headbutt spots as well, though, like, just real cringe-inducing sort of stuff. There was that just that issue, you know, when he gets forearmed in the when they exchange forearms, and he like his his shoulders go up, and he's like he he grimaces. But he, he never falls. Like I just lo- that is like perfect selling. And when people say Yushu doesn't know how to sell, well, they don't really say it so much anymore. <laughs> but um, very stupid. That, 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 like, that is perfect selling. Like, have you ever been in like a sports match or a fight where you, you like you get a stinger or you hurt yourself? It's like it's not the end of you. you. You try and pretend it doesn't hurt, but it you know it hurts so much that you can't help it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that was that the, the whole sequence, like you said, where he like. He has nothing left and just like staggers forward with this really weak oh, elbow oh, attempt that? and misses completely. That was that was like right around the five minute mark. That was so awesome. That was only five minutes in. Yeah, that was only five minutes oh, in. My goodness me. Yeah. Oh, what a match! That. Um, but yeah, I'm just f- scrolling through my notes here to find more. I mean, there's so much stuff I could talk about here. Like, there's so that towards the finish, Suzuki like tries for the gotch. Uh, Ishii like picks him up onto his back. And just fucking drops him right on his head with this sick reverse pile driver. I mean, you know, I don't know if this is the greatest spot to at, take. Sorry. If, if sorry, if you look at that closely though, that's pretty. It's pretty safe. Like Suzuki lands pretty safely. Okay. Like it's most shoulders and back. Mm-hmm. It just it's because his legs are always in the air. Right. It looks 
Well, his legs are never in the air, so when he takes a bump like that, he looks folded up. And, you know, Suzuki had been smiling a lot during this match, especially when Ishii was beating his ass. But then, like, around the 10-minute mark, when Ishii, like, hit, hit a sliding forearm and then an enzigiri, Suzuki was not smiling anymore. Now he was pissed. And, like, you know, he basically was like, okay, I was fucking with you, but now I just have to finish this match off, basically. And, like, you know, Ishii, like, hits, like, a big larry in the ropes... But Suzuki comes, goes behind him and gets this cool little, like, sleeper takedown. I think he basically, like, grabbed him around the waist and just, like, uh, and, like, a rear waist lock and just, like, took him down right to the mat and then got the sleeper. That looked pretty cool. It's, like, a very different way from how he normally gets the sleeper. Uh, he went for the gotch power driver uh, again, but Ishii back by dropped his way out of it. Uh, the two of them started trading these really hard slaps to the face, which was getting, like, oohs and ahs out of the crowd, even though they're not supposed to, which we talked about earlier. Like, yeah, this this crowd was not supposed to be doing that, but they couldn't help themselves. They couldn't help themselves. Yeah. Like, that, that's a legitimate visceral reaction. Yeah. And that's how you know, like, yeah. yeah. That's how you know it was a great match. I think one thing that's also helped Suzuki in this COVID period is he's not done it. He's not probably been allowed to do any crowd brawling. Oh, yeah, that's true, too. But that doesn't really, like, that doesn't water down. Like, doing crowd brawling once every so often is, is good. But when, you know, when that's his go-to thing, I think it makes it not as good. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't think of that. You know, the, the lack of the crowd brawling. Uh, but yeah, Suzuki eventually gets the better end of that slap exchange and like drops him. Uh, he goes for some kind of sliding big boot that honestly didn't look that great, but I mean, really, who cares after all this other stuff? Uh, and then Ishii hit a big lariat. Suzuki got up and was laughing again. Uh, Ishii hit another lariat. He went for the brain buster, but Suzuki like rolled the momentum back down and then hit the God style power driver. That looked so cool. And that got the pin. Uh, yeah, obviously it's fucking rolled. Like I said, there's probably a couple spots you could nitpick with, but these two just killed each other. Exactly what you expect for this kind of awesome sprint. I went four and a quarter on this. I also went four and a quarter. Um, you know, John, obviously these two guys didn't come out with their uh, prestigious belts. <laughs> I can, I can, I can actually, I can absolutely imagine why uh, Ishii didn't come out with his. But I, I can't remember. Can you remember if in 2017 when it, uh, Suzuki was the never champ, he came out with the belt then too? I don't remember the... honestly. He probably did, but it was really, it was really weird. Like the who came out with their stuff on this? I mean, none of the never six man champions came with their stuff, their belts. Uh, came out with his six man belt. Oh, you're right, you're right. So only one. You know, it's a big accomplishment to him. Yes. But yes, it's funny we didn't get they didn't count their belts even though this is uh you you forget it's never versus never here, so. But yeah, I mean Kenta came out with that fucking red briefcase which we'll talk about. But I I laughed so hard when he came out with that thing. Like, could you imagine yeah. Kenta going through fucking customs and like trying flying back to Japan with this giant ugly red briefcase? There's IWGP US title challenge. <laughs> yeah. Um, Imagine the confusion on some of those customs people. Like, why, why don't you just bring this? Why do you need a briefcase for it? <laughs> and why are you bringing it from the U.S. to Japan? And why is it red? <laughs> why is it the, the most garish shade of red? Imagine. <laughs> it's so funny. I don't know. It, it is really... It's a terrible briefcase. And it's like, it, just imagine him having to fly all the way to Japan with this thing really made me laugh. But, uh... I mean, it's not like... John Moxley's not in Japan. So I could be able to use it on him while you're there. It's like, why yeah, do you? So with it. I mean, we'll get to. We'll, I mean, I guess we'll get to it. But wait, well, I assume he's, he's going to use that as a weapon. But he didn't even ah, touch it. You're right. That's. Just, I didn't even think of that either. Yeah. He didn't even for, touch it. 
I mean, I probably, he probably will use it on, like, Tanahashi or Naito or somebody. Yeah, yeah true, true, true. Uh, the semi-main event, speaking of people who like to use uh, all sorts of things, Jay White defeating Shingo Takagi in 1928 with the Blade Runner. Uh, so, okay, let me let me try to explain my uh, my thoughts on this. I thought this match fucking ruled. I, I don't really even know why. The interference didn't bother me as much here. I, I've been trying to figure that out myself as I went along. Maybe there's a point with Jay White. Like, last year in the G1, I was really fucking sick of Jay White. I really, like... And maybe the interference will really uh, great on me eventually in this one, too. But maybe it's just the fact that we haven't seen Jay White in New Japan proper in many months. That didn't really bother me. You know, there's a honeymoon period. But I also think just... I just think Jay White's, like... His actual wrestling before the uh, before the interference kicks in has just gotten so much better that maybe I'm just willing to overlook it because like his his like he's always been a good wrestler at what he does like you know the counter stuff he's good at he's he takes a lot of great bumps uh, he's pretty damn good at selling but the biggest problem I always had with him you know since this run started was his offense I always thought his offense I don't know like his move set was offense is that what like like when he's controlling. Right. Like, I always thought his moveset was kind of boring, not very interesting, and, you know, he he had a a tendency to have dull control periods or, like, uh, you know, not just not not do a ton of interesting stuff. But his offense has gotten so much better. I mean, a a lot, lot better, I think. So, you know, maybe I can just... I'm more willing to overlook the interference and stuff when, uh, you know, the rest of the match is just so much... is so good, which this, this one was, I thought. I mean, I thought this was an awesome match. Uh, but yeah, I don't know if you have any d- different thoughts on the interference yeah, well, versus I, the wrestling. I thought it was a great match too. I, I went four on it, but I, I have a higher propensity for for bullshit, mo- mainly in New Japan because, well, in in WWE they 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 book themselves into such shitholes because they the show gets torn up every fucking minute it seems like so they book matches that they don't actually want people to win so that's why they they put in so much bullshit and so much you know um dqs and so much of that stuff in in new japan it's like they don't care if shingo loses clean to jay white it's it's a it's a vehicle to get jay white over and like live crowds are still new japan's number one resource right so getting I don't think they expect people to be watching every single one of these shows. So that's why they do the same bullshit in every city is to get it over to that live crowd. It's like, you know, remember in Jay White's first G1 in 2018, it was, it was the exact same ref bump chair spot every single time. And it was to get, and it was the sole purpose of getting them over in every city and establishing that is his um, character where it's it now it's not, if I thought, oh, they didn't want to beat Shingo, so why would they book this match? Then I'd be angry at the, at the ref bump and at the at the bullshit. But because it's it's a it's an actual vehicle for storytelling, I don't hate it as much. Yeah, and I totally get. And look, if we're gonna end up with like two people in the G one doing this, like one in each block, uh, which it seems like we are based on uh, how these first two nights went, I can deal with that. It's like if if you have Jay and Evil and Kenta and Taichi. Uh, all doing it, it would probably get old, a lot older very quickly. But like one in each block, and that don't really doesn't really bother me. But and I think I think it can definitely add to a match too. It definitely adds to the drama. Like if you if you really like a guy going up against Jay White or or going up against Evil, 
and he's got the win, and then Dick Togo or Ghetto or whoever pulls the ref out, doesn't that make you, like, good angry? Yes, I agree. Well, people... There's a thing where people don't want to be marks anymore, you know? They don't want to uh, get mad at, like, the wrestlers for cheating, or they just want to get mad at the promotion. So, I, I get it. And I get so angry. I get so angry <laughs> at the wrestlers for cheating. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, got, I, I allowed my... Especially in New Japan... I'm I'm much more willing to go with the flow, I guess, and get mad at the wrestlers and be like, who's booking this shit? But anyway, um, I have to point out, by the way, first we had uh, the Pro Rezo, uh, the King Suzuki. Then we had the Holy Emperor Taichi. Now we have King Switch. It's like, how many rulers can one fucking company have? It just seems like there's... We need to change up the nicknames, I think. Or we need to send them through a, like, a quality control first. Yeah, really. Uh, Gato looked so happy, by the way, to have Jay White back. It was uh, actually kind of cute. But uh, <laughs> and then Red Shoes like tried to get between them when they were going to do their pre-match two sweet, and then White's like, "Everybody's been waiting six months for this Uno." <laughs> let, me, let me tell you, I thought Jay White is such a fucking megastar. Yeah, I mean he's. I mean the the promos. Too, if people are not watching the promos where he he might be the best heel promo in wrestling, I mean. I don't he's really think that's a stretch. Maybe. I'm sorry. Like, like he's he might be best. He might be pretty close to the best promo. Yeah. Like who 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 comes sort of close to him? Yeah, there's some guys in Japanese that are really good. I think Naito's really good. Oh, Naito's really, really good. huh? I think Naito's really good too because yeah. I can actually understand him because yeah. he speaks a slower cadence. <laughs> Same with, um, but so I guess I, I mark him highly. But I, yeah, in terms of English speakers. I don't really know who's who sort of grabs my attention quite like Jay White. Yeah, and he looks fucking good too. He's look, he's ripped out of his gills. I mean, he definitely ticks all the boxes for like and said, his matches have gotten better. Like his connective tissue. Yeah, I mean, his his transitions are way better. Like between moves, that's for sure. Like, and you know, th- this match, you know, it started out with like a like a, a headlock uh, sequence that was actually kind of fun. Um, you know, then, you know, Jay, there was like, Jay, Jay was very funny just mocking the, the crowds clapping throughout the entire, uh, throughout the entire match and even before the match because, like you, we said earlier, the crowd was very happy to see him when he came out. So, like, you know, for as much as he cheats or whatever, the crowd definitely missed this man. And he was like mocking their clapping right away. Uh, but yeah, then he like dropped Shingo with this like really nasty backdrop suplex on the, under the apron. Um, then when they get back to the ring, you know, Jay White was like stretching him against the ropes and then choking him in the ropes. Uh, and he went for the cover and Red Shoes wouldn't count the pen. And Jay got mad and was like, people do way worse. Why is that not a cover? <laughs> <laughs> and that, that plays into like the actual, well, my head canon at least of, of why people don't get disqualified when they get disqualified. Yeah. Like, so it's just it's just proving ticking all the boxes, proving proving me right. Really, it's just, I don't know why that that line like really cracked me up. I was laughing so hard, but yeah, he was he was so angry at Red Shoes. That is uh, a very good Jay White trait as well. He always like he's he's never he's constantly in character. Yeah, when he's shows like he like all of his little jabs and barbs, they're all they're all by Switchblade. They're not by Jay White, the you know the twenty six year old New Zealand guy. I will say it was very hard. Uh, to see him as a heel when he was showing up on Strong in a black in his Black Lives Matter shirt, but uh, yeah, you know I, I, he felt very. I mean, the man feels sincerely about that. I get it, but like you know, 
Uh, and when he's owning Flip Gordon on, on Twitter. Yeah, I know. He's an idiot. Um, but yeah, Shingo made a big comeback after that. And like, you know, he, he'd been getting worked on forever. And Jay was like pulling his hair. So I like that Shingo like pulled Jay by the hair too, like to get him back. And then started like forearming him and then tossed him by the hair. You know, like the, the Diva Divas match circuit 2006 uh, hair tosses. But then, like, he, he hit a big larry over the ropes to the floor. He did the Tenru combo on the floor. And then just kind of started throwing punches while White, like, was desperately covering up. I thought that was a great little sequence. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, like, there's, there's, like, this quick little counter sequence back in the ring with uh, Shingo getting this front suplex. But then Jay came back with this awesome uh, snap backdrop, which I love that move. That's one he... I think he's had that for a little while now, but that move always looks it's really Saito good. Suplex. I'm sorry? The Saito suplex. Yeah, the snap Saito suplex, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's that's yeah, that's his best move, I think. Um then we got this like nice little strike sequence that ended with Shingo finally being able to get the Noshigami after he had tried a couple times earlier. Um Jade like I thought put this together this little strike combination, which I thought was a new thing for him. Like it was I don't think I've ever ever seen him do that before. But, uh, you know, it was like a bunch of, like, little elbows and, like, forearms all together in a row. But Shingo basically, Shingo basically no-sold it anyway. It, sorry. Did you, do you mean, like, you don't remember that Nakamura little strike combo that he yeah, used to do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I think he's done that before. Okay. But Shingo no-sold it and, like, dropped him in the lariat. Uh, and then Jay, you know, he pushed the ref into Shingo to give himself an opening. Hit this big deadlift German and this huge Uranage. Those looked really good together, like back-to-back especially, and that got a two-count. Uh, Shingo came back with his, like, alternating elbow strikes, uh, and Jay did uh, what my... So I went to MSG in 2019 with my girlfriend, who's not a big wrestling fan, and she called DJ White, like, where he sits down to refuse to, uh, you know, to refuse to take a move, basically, as, like, the I'm baby counter. Because <laughs> it's, like, it's just, like, Jay White being like, I'm... I'm sorry? Well, it is. It, it's what it is. Yeah, he's kind of like I'm baby. Can't hit me with the move because I'm baby. But yes, he he do, he avoided the pumping bomber that way. Uh, but Shingo was ready for it though, because he like kind of just bounced off the ropes oh, to the other side. Yeah, when he hit the sliding form to the back. So. And then he hit the then he hit the sliding pumping bomber as well, like straight after. Mm-hmm. Like like Jay Jay babied. Shingo then, when he sat up and had a point in his head like I'm smarter than you, Shingo hit the forearm. And then when, you know, Jay's selling that forearm hit, then he slides in for that soup, that clothesline that he wanted to do originally. Yeah. I just thought that, I thought that was just a, such a smart, well-thought-out sequence. Yeah, for sure. Uh, he went for the main Japan, but then he, like, turned it into this, like, really cool gut buster variant instead when Jay kept trying to block it. It's like the counter wrestling here is a little more subtle than you'd usually see in a Jay White match, uh, but I really liked it. So um, we got like the 15 minute call around there. Shingo like tried to pull Jay up by his head. Uh, and this is where like the, the bullshit started, I guess you could say. You know, Gato got up on the apron to distract Shingo, and Jay tried to roll him up with his feet on the ropes, but Red Shoes, you know, saw it and stopped counting. Uh, you know, Shingo hit a lariat, but Jay came right back with this like snap half Nelson suplex. And the Kiwi Crusher for a two count. Uh, Jay gave us the throat slash and went for the Blade Runner. But Shingo pulled his hair again to block, which is very subtle little thing. The hair pulling that continued throughout the match. Uh, and Jay, like, elbowed him repeatedly to try to get it. But Shingo countered to the Made in Japan for a close 2.9 count. 
And you can hear the crowd doing their the foot the foot stomps at this point because they really like this match. That's what it means, by the way, when Japanese fans do the the foot stomps. It's like this match is so good, basically. Uh, and then Shingo went for the last of Dragon. Jay grabbed on the referee to get off his shoulders. Gato tried to come in with the brass knuckles, but Shingo like elbowed him out of the way. Uh, then we got like the last of Dragon with or he went for the last Dragon again. Jay grabbed on the ropes to block it. His legs took out the referee just as Shingo hit it, and he got the visual pinfall, but there's no referee. I think that's kind of a big deal for Shingo to even get a visual pin over Jay White. Uh, you know, it's that's a top-level guy that he's basically, you know, quote-unquote should have beaten. So it makes me wonder if he'll, he might get, like, a big, like, a real win. It wouldn't surprise me if he beats, like, a Kota Ibushi later on, maybe. But Yeah, I, I think Shingo's definitely going to have some wins. Like yeah. some some beast scalps in this tournament, especially how where I think his his dome is going. Um, but yeah, I it's interesting now. That's two big bullet club guys that have gotten that have been visually beaten. Well, actually, three if you count Kenta in the US, USA shows. Three big, three of the heavy bullet club hitters that have been visually beaten and the rest being down. Yeah, uh, and then Jay hits a low blow on Shingo. Uh, gets the regal plex for the bridge. Shingo kicks out too. Uh, he it's like I don't know what, what was it like a, a cross arm brain buster maybe, or was it like it looked kind of like a um was supposed to be like a cross arm bloody Sunday. Yeah, he's been doing that a bit too. Like yeah. as his as his absolute, I'm I'm sick of you now. Yeah, I'm gonna do this. then I'm then like you. There's no way you can get out of the the, the blade runner. Yeah, I like that move a lot. It looks really cool. Then he hits the blade runner, and that's the pen. So yeah, I could see some people hating this because of the usual Jay White stuff, but I thought this was pretty awesome. I already talked kind of yeah. about why I thought it was so much better now, but Jay is like such a smooth wrestler. He's so good. He's a huge star, like we said. Um, you know, I can overlook more that more of this than in the past. Maybe I, if if we're on match eight of nine, where he's still doing it in every single match, uh, it might get old at that point. But at this point, I'm still pretty into it. So I went four and a quarter. Oh yeah, I, I went for flat. I think I think as I said before about my uh, propensity for the bullshit. I do think though we need to get a little bit more creative with how we get red shoes out of there. <laughs> like that that like getting blown over by the breeze. <laughs> so bad. Like it looks so. And I know he's an old man, but come on, he's like. You can think we, can you... we, just, can we squash him somehow? Like I don't know. I don't know how to do it. They're, the wrestlers are smarter than me at wrestling. They can yeah. come up with more creative ways to get him out of there if they need to get him out of there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so awesome semi-main. Uh, at this point, the show is already a big success for these two four and a quarter star matches, and you know also Cobb and Taichi. Uh, here's a match where I wonder if we might disagree at all. I haven't seen your takes on this. Uh, the main event: Kota Ibushi defeating Kazuchika Okada in twenty-one thirty-five with the Kamigoe. Um, <laughs> I thought this was. Not very good, especially for a big, okay. a big first night main event. Uh, I did not enjoy this. I, I can go through all the specifics of why I didn't enjoy this and what my issues with it were. And I think you know, there's a bit, there is a kind of a firestorm around this match, which I, I want to talk about as we get through it at the end, and like some of the alternate theories and arguments going around. But the match itself, I mean, it, it, it felt like the easiest way to say it is the opening 10 minutes was like the opening 15 minutes of the, the Tokyo Dome main event. Which to say, it's pretty dull. Not a ton happens. Just really, like... I, there was one point where, like, my note here is... There's no... Like, I'm just 
reading verbatim from my notes. Very slow. Still very slow. Just nothing going on in this match so far. I'm yelling, when does this get good at my TV screen? Like, really, just was not into that at all. Um, the problem is, what what's bailed out that Tokyo Dome match was everything after that 15-minute mark was so fucking spectacular that I don't think you can call that a bad match, even though, obviously, the first 15 minutes were incredibly boring. Um, you know, I ended up going four and a quarter on the Tokyo Dome one. I, I don't blame people at all for going, like, the, you know, people, obviously, a lot of people have it at, like, you know, a, a full five or close to it, and I get it. I just can't go that high on a match that, like, was so boring to me for the first 15 minutes, and this one, again, for the first 10 minutes was just as boring. The problem with this match is I don't think it ever got to that level of the Tokyo Dome match, or even really remotely close. So it has the boring starting part, but then, like, you know, not not nearly enough of the spectacular stuff. And, like, so much of that second half is based around oh, the fucking money clap and that stupid fucking uh, Cobra Clutch. And it's, like, it's just not a good move. It's not interesting. It's not a fun story to watch play out. If that's if I'll talk about the theories of that after. But, like, it's just not... It doesn't make for a good match. It just does not make for an entertaining match. It makes for a boring match. It, it like, breaks up any momentum in the last 10 minutes they had going finally. It just, this just wasn't that good. I, mean, I went I went three stars. I mean, that was the rating I wow. gave it. I put thought this was be, between the length and, like, how much I didn't enjoy it. I thought this was slightly worse than Osprey and Yujiro. So I just, I did not like this at all. So a very, uh, I, I mean, get your thoughts before I go into more, more thoughts, I guess. What did you think of this one? Sure. Well, I, I just looked up what I gave the B1 match last year. Uh, and I, I think I went four and a half, and I think that was that's probably on the low side. I went, I went four. And four and a, I went. I went four and a half on the G one match last year too. I yeah. think. I, I went four and a half on the on the Tokyo Dome match as well for the exact reasons that you said. I didn't think this was as boring as the start. Like the start of this was as boring, and I didn't think this got as, as spectacular. I, I thought this was still pretty great. I thought Ibushi was pretty amazing in this. Okada is, for whatever reason, probably doing this um, I don't really care uh, about wrestling story at the moment, uh, which I think... I'll, we'll get into the story of this Okada thing, I guess, soon. But yeah, I, I, I think I still think this was great. But for a non-G1 main event, I thought it was still pretty overwhelming. But I would have had it more at that four, four and a quarter range. Like, I, like, I, can't, I can't call this... Just a good match. Like to me, this is still a pretty, a pretty good match. Mm. Mostly uh, just for the Ibushi. Like that step up on the apron, um, moonsault he did, is like that's, that's pretty spectacular. That I, the story that they told where Ibushi was just just killing this guy by killing this guy that he lost to in the biggest match of his life, and he just like sort of almost just ran through him. Really, like, and he said that in his post match that he didn't even really need to go full effort. Which, again, I don't know if this is the most the best Okada story to tell. Because it's yeah, so let me. I guess let me let me address that. Because so where is this a work and where is this a shoot? Is I guess the big debate. And like, so like let's let's talk about that. So you start out the year obviously has two awesome matches at the Tokyo Dome. I don't think I think very few people yeah. would argue with that. And yeah. I think the, this pandemic. This pandemic might have hurt this Okada story because who knows what was going to happen in between 
the New Japan Cup that was originally scheduled for March to now. Maybe maybe there would have been some some more interesting story beats along the way. But I think when you haven't seen New Japan for four months and you want you want the Rainmaker Kazuchika Okada and that's not the story they're telling, maybe he looks probably worse than what he actually is. I think yeah. I still think he had a decent New Japan. I, I didn't hate the match with Evil at the New, J- New Japan Cup final. I, I fucking hate that match. I, <laughs> I really did. I, I, did, I, did I didn't. I, yeah. For what, uh, oh, well, that was fucking in July. But um, why did I even bring it up? But like, I mean, the Kazuchika Okada Pro Wrestling um, tournament is is wacky and goofy, but it's so similar to the 2018. Um, uh, balloon Okada like can we like there has to be a, a different story you can tell when the guy loses his belt and he just loses his mind yeah and I don't I, know I just don't think they've done a good job telling the story they're trying to tell and maybe like you said some of that is the layoff but like he didn't even mention really like okay so let me, let me just go over this so he he loses obviously the titles to Naito uh, he yep. just he get, goes right in a few with Taichi he beats Taichi so that doesn't even uh, say anything about it's touch with the rainmaker, right? Yeah. No, no different. Yeah. So we come back from the break. Suddenly, he's obsessed with this Cobra Clutch. He makes it to the final of the New Japan Cup. He loses. He tells Tokyo Sports he doesn't care about the double titles anyway because he thinks the heavyweight belt, being tied to the Intercontinental, is devaluing it. So you think that's going somewhere, but then he's like, "Well, anyway, I'm just going to go do this KOPW thing." Uh, he feuds with Yujiro Takahashi, which you know, granted, very hard for anyone to get anything on Yujiro. I get it. Uh, Osprey got a better match out of him on this night than Okada did in two months. I mean, that you have to say that, I guess. But, you know, I, it is very difficult. Um, but yeah, he's obsessed with this fucking money clip thing for really no adequately explained reason. Um, he loses in the final of his own tournament to a Yano low blow and roll up. Uh, so he loses his title that he came up with. Doesn't seem to care about that either. Like, he just goes backstage and is like, oh, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. See you later. Like, he doesn't seem to care at all that he didn't win the title he came up with. Uh, he loses that fucking never six-man tournament in the finals, too. So he's lost, uh, if you count the mini-tournament, he's lost four tournament finals. But he doesn't seem to care at all. So it's like, why am I, as a fan... Like, if this is the storyline they're telling, I don't understand why I, as a fan, am supposed to care about it when Okada doesn't seem to care about it. So... I just don't think, and if that's the story they're going for, I just think they've done a very poor job actually telling that story and actually making it come across in a way that we're supposed to care. He doesn't give a post-match promo here either. Maybe he'll talk about something about his... But I don't know, like, even the 2018 one, I never felt like he... It, it, it doesn't feel like the character is ever vulnerable enough, even when he's not winning, you know, as his natural state is, like, kind of winning <laughs> everything, basically. Right. To, well, I, to, I, I don't know. It just doesn't it doesn't connect with me at all. I think I think that's also the problem. Like I think this story could be a lot more interesting if if he was just given the like if he was the first match on every block. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing slab packs from arenaclub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each 
one. Now, when I buy slap packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like, you know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun, and sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, oh, hey, look at some random cards or whatever. But if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards, it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs, and it ends up being, you know, almost nothing. You know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. You can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling. And you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying... Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off again that's arena club.com slash vow net arena club.com slash vow net for 10 percent off your first purchase on arena club and we thank them for sponsoring the voices of wrestling podcast network and he was sort of just going through his motions you know he loses to the okadas he can lose to i don't know who else is in this jay white and suzuki and whoever, but, you know, he, he's still tapping Udro out with the stupid money clear, and he's still tapping Jeff Cobb out with it or whatever. But, like, he's, he's being stuck down the the card. But the problem is, he's, he's Kazuchika Okada. He needs to be at the top of the card, which doesn't really work for this I-don't-really-give-a-shit story. I, I mean, honestly, he, I, I don't think he does. I, I, if I was New Japan, I, I mean, he before the belts were separated, he should have had a run with the Intercontinental and just been the 1B for a little while. Uh, you could put him with fucking Goto and let him have a tag title run. Like, just do something with him that's other than either the unbeatable ace forever, which obviously got boring, which is why we're here, or the, you know, oh, Okada's a uh, broken Okada once again. It just feels like there has to be something other than these two stories to do with this guy. Just let him do something else for a little while. It's not like he's super old and you can't go back to him. But it just feels like we need to do something else other than either he's the absolute top champion or he's a uh, broken Okada who can't get the job done anymore. Like, just do something else with this guy. Just let him go be tag champion for six months. Like, what would be the problem with that? Yeah, I, I agree. I, 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 but, like, what, why would he want... Like, if he doesn't want the Intercontinental, why why would he want the tag team? I mean, he, he, went, he went for the fucking Never Six Man titles for no reason. I guess he did. <laughs> 
yeah, with his buddies. Maybe, maybe that's what. Maybe he's being fueled by friendship at the moment. Yeah, he, I just, I just want them to. I have a real bad feeling he's going to come back from this and win this G one. And yeah, and I really and hope they don't go in that direction because it would be the most boring thing they could do. That is, that is a really, really boring story. If if I'm putting my fantasy uh, bookers uh, cap on, I, I mean, I, I don't have him winning this G one. I have him. Getting his revenge at evil at the dome. Yeah, and what you know, say what you want about like, that match, but I think they have sort of. I mean, Jay White should win this G one. I mean, that's I, I know who I want to win the G one. Oh, who? Uh, and it's uh, the Cold Skeleton. I mean, I'd be fine with that too, but I I think I like the LHA story because yeah. I'm a disgusting mark. Yeah, but I don't really want to see Jay White Nido again. Mm. I don't know. I'd be but, fine with it, but. Uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it'd be if they go different. I mean, it would be obviously a different story route. But if if Okada wins this, it's going to be so boring. I think it also dilutes just the gravity of Naito finally beating him last year. Yeah, like he is his seven year quest to to finally get over the hump and beat him at the dome, and he's the first ever double champion. And he's just going to like, oh, he's your first challenger at the dome. Like, but yeah. So I, the other thing I want to touch on too is like the debate is. You know, is it all working for the Okada that he doesn't care or that he isn't at that level anymore? Or is he actually slowed down? Uh, I honestly think the answer is in the middle. Like, I think... It, look, if you didn't wa- if you didn't watch it, there was that... Uh, there was, like, a G1 Climax documentary last year in 2019. And you can see Okada after some of these matches where, like, he can barely move. And, like, especially can barely move his neck. And I feel like that's very noticeable if you look for it in these matches this year. I'm not saying it means he's you know, fucking I'm paralyzed the way people act like Naito is. But, like, he clearly has had a lot of wear and tear on his body doing these 30 to 50-minute matches for, you know, you know, I, I don't know, God, eight straight years now. I mean, he's been, like, at the top of the card, basically, this entire time. And, you know, obviously that's going to add up to anybody. He's not that old, but, like, he's got a lot of miles on this, on that body right now. Uh, yeah, his body is older than his actual age. Yeah. So I don't think he's, and I, to be clear, I don't think he's like so broken down he can never go again. But I do think he has to pick his spots a lot more. And I think he's taking full advantage of this storyline to, you know, Okada from like four years ago or three years ago or even two years ago probably would still be working at a much higher level during, even during a storyline like this. Whereas I think Okada in 2020 views this as a great time to, you know, not try as hard. And I, I just, I don't think he tried as hard in this match as he did in, in prior matches with Ibushi. I don't think he's tried at all against Yujiro, and I don't blame him, but, you know, that's just where he is. You know, I think it's a... I think it's part of a motiv- part motivation. Maybe it's also just harder for him to get, um, you know, to get fired up by these clap crowds than it is for other people. But I do think part of it is like a physical wear and tear thing, and I just don't think... You know, I think it's all adding up. I don't think it's 100% storyline. I don't think it's like, you know, just... I don't think he's just working bad on purpose for the storyline, whatever, other than the fact that that Cobra Clutch sucks, <laughs> obviously. Yeah. But, but yeah, I, I mean... He's not... Oh, sorry, go oh, ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, he's not working bad. Like, he's still nailing moves and... Well, there was one spot here that looked really bad. Where, like, Which one? So, he basically, like... So, I guess Okada looked like he was trying for a top rope tombstone, which, you know, that... uh Actually, no, that was mostly Ibushi's fault, I guess. <laughs> like, they were fighting with this top rope tombstone... Like, Abushi hits a slap to the chest and tries for the springboard Rana, but, like, he's trying to, like, springboard from the top rope, 
to Okada on the top rope. Um, but he almost falls down. So, like, he doesn't really get the Rana on, you know? Like, he never really makes contact with yep. his legs on Okada's head. And Okada has to, like, you know, leap into the Rana. So, I don't know. Yeah, I, I looked, just chalked up sort of awkward timing. Yeah, that wasn't really a good That's sign. Really like, oh, that, was, washed, that was more Ibushi's fault. Now I'm reading the notes back. But, yeah, it, like, it wasn't a complete disaster, but it looked really stupid. So, you know, for such what should have been a spectacular spot, uh, that was like around the fifteen minute mark. That yeah. that definitely hurt the match. But yeah, I th- like, but I yeah, I don't think he's like he's not missing spots. He's just working slower. Like Balloon Okada, he was working still at the Okada pace, but he's like he was doing wackier moves. Yeah, to sort of get over how kind of broken in his brain he was. Whereas now he's just like he's slower. He's disinterested, which is not as good of a story but I, it, whatever it, it's I necessary. yeah i just don't like it as a story i don't think i don't i don't get why they're doing this again it was just only two years ago we already basically did this story and i don't know i just they need to find something else for okada to do I just, and, and he's obviously going to have more title matches or more title sorry more title reigns in in his future which means he's going to have more title losses and if this is the default post okada title run that like story we're going to get where he's like he's so lost can we think, think of something different for him, please? Yeah, I mean, it's very, it is very like, like come on, like I thought the KOPW thing was going to be something different for a while, and that's now Toriano having a tiny trophy. So I don't know what's going on with that, and what Okada is going to be doing if he doesn't win this G one, which makes me think he's going to win this G one. But you know. yeah, yeah, that, that terrifies me. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, the match with Nido would probably be really good. At the dome, but I'd I'd much rather see him get his come up and over evil at yeah. the dome than but, win uh, win a yeah. But overall, I mean, look this this to me was a flat ending to what was a uh, really awesome show before that. So great start to the G one, but I would like this match to be a lot better. Fair, fair enough. I mean, I still thought it was a great match, but definitely underwhelming. Uh, night number two, also from the Indian Arena, Zaka. That was earlier today. Uh, Sunday, September 20th. We open up with another Young Lion match, Yoda Suji defeating Gabriel Kidd in 9-15 with a Boston Crab. Uh, this was this was better, I thought, than the first Saints Young Lion match. Uh, I, this was like... These two actually had like a little angle leading up to this. They had they got in like a big fight backstage at the last Corican, I think. So, you know, that was kind of cool. They set this up with a, uh, a little angle to heat it up. But yeah, there was like some really nice mat wrestling early on. Uh... The, the, the Young Lion elbow exchange like was even better than usual, and the crowd was super into it. Again, for the second straight day, just lots of strong strike exchanges in general. I mean, they went a little longer, a couple minutes longer than the last one, too, and they just beat the piss out of each other. And then Suji tapped Kit out with the Boston Crab after hitting the spear. Uh, I thought I went three and a quarter on this. I thought it was like a really fun opener and better than the Young Lion match from the first night. I thought it was around the same, but I like those matches. It's mm-hmm. like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like saying this last what last night was a two and a half, and uh, two nights ago was a two and a half, and this was a, a two and three quarter. Like I'd say, yeah, they're both around that anywhere between two three quarters to three and a quarter, whatever you know your mileage may vary. Yeah, but I, I, I think Suji has definitely impressed this year, and I was not like low on him, but I thought he was not the best guy in this young line class, but he's definitely grown on me. And I think I know, like his spot, like with Ren Narita, you knew he was going to, you know, he's going to be a junior, a junior sort of ace when he comes back. You know, Shota Amino is going to be like one of the, the top, the top players when he comes back. 
I sort of didn't know where, where Yoda Suji would fall. And now I just, I think he's just going to be a 15 year never title monster. Yeah. And I think that's perfectly fine for him. Yeah. I think he's got, I think he has a lot of potential. So we'll see where that goes. But I think he's, he's looked way better in the last, like, I don't know, like year, I guess, or six. I don't, I don't, yeah, like a year, I guess. Cause he, he, he was a little awkward early on, but he really is picking it up now. Uh, match number two, Juice Robinson defeating Yoshihashi in 1557 with the Pulp Friction. Uh, of course, this was Juice's return to the company. His new look is very bizarre. Uh, he looks like he just got off a shift as a bartender at, like, a joint in D.C. that caters to, like, fat cat lobbyists or something. Like, that is literally the image I got in my head. Like, this guy is making drinks for, like, lobbyists in some fucking bar, probably called, like, Capital Grill. Or some shit. And it's like just very bizarre new look. But then he takes the jacket off and he's wearing like a wife beater in the ring. Like as he wrestles for some reason. Very, very bizarre. I don't know what Juice is going for here. But uh Well yeah, he's wearing like an amateur singlet under his black long tights that are already aren't long enough anyway. But the the singlet is supposed to give the impression of a wife beater. I, I see. Okay. I didn't get that like, thing again. He like a working class because it's a Blues Brothers uh, gimmick this time, I which see. I don't know is probably better than the Russian gimmick he had in, uh, in the World Tag League last year. But yeah, it's a blue, it's Blues Brothers, and I think Rich touched on it in our Slack that it's because he's from I don't know how to pronounce it, so forgive me if you're from here. But Joylet, Joy- Illinois. Joy- I don't know either. Actually, <laughs> Joy- Joy- maybe I don't know. I don't know either. Who the fuck knows? Apparently, it's a bit of a. Um, shithole uh, and but the Blue Brothers was filmed there or parts of it was filmed there uh, and that's sort of like you know the town's big claim to fame I think that's what he's paying homage to I see uh, a little bit so I think yeah I mean I always think his looks are kind of funny I think he pulls it I think he can always pull them off yeah I don't um, know this one this one he was pretty close to not being able to pull it off <laughs> <laughs> this is the closest he's ever gotten to not being able to pull it off I think I mean three quarter length tights with having leg sleeves poking out the bottom, you know those little shooter boots and a white singlet, and that and that hair, that like curly mullet, yeah, it's, it's quite a powerful. But hey, he's popular. He's he's popular. He can do whatever he wants, I guess. He can do whatever he wants, yeah. yeah. So he leads everyone in like stomping and clapping to the tune of "We Will Rock You," and that seems to be his thing. He's yeah, doing. Do you reckon that sounded really good? Yeah, it was a lot. It, it's, it, I mean, look, he had to come up with something since obviously they can't chant for him anymore and he feeds off that. But yeah, he, it was pretty good. He was uh, pretty inventive. And the crowd organically did it as well for his comebacks. Yeah. Like, he didn't have to lead through it. Yeah, well, they, they're very... They they picked up on it quickly. Queen, Queen, I think, is pretty big there, so I'm not that surprised. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yes, so there's... This match, you know, early on, very basic, but, like, not to say it wasn't bad. Uh, not to say it was bad, it wasn't bad at all. Um, but, yeah, like, you know, very very basic early on, you know, and surprisingly long for this, and, like, you know, um, you know, a lot longer to expect for this, but I don't think it ever really dragged, is the thing. And Yo- Yoshihashi, I have to mention, he does this fucking suplex neck- neckbreaker in his matches, where, like, I don't understand this move. Why does lifting a guy from a suplex position and then placing them back down their feet behind you and then hitting a neckbreaker make the neckbreaker hurt any more than just hitting a neckbreaker? 
It's like one of those wrestling moves that like doesn't even make sense to me in the logic of wrestling. Like I don't like why would this hurt more? I don't just, just do a neck breaker. Why are you adding extra step? Like you're just dropping him on his feet anyway. I'm not adding anything to the move. John Yoshihashi's got one of the worst moves sets in professional wrestling. <laughs> he does. It's it, terrible. He, I mean, everything it looks, everything is like as you said. It doesn't make sense in the fabric of wrestling, in the universe of wrestling. It doesn't make sense. It looks kind of sh- it either or it looks kind of shitty. Like how like you know when he does that draping, he drapes them over the top rope and then he runs in and, and like drop kicks them. Yeah. Those guys have to launch themselves halfway across the <laughs> ring to make that look any good. And it's like, the butterfly lock sucks. Oh, yeah, the butterfly like, lock is the worst fucking finisher in wrestling. I mean, I mean, we, we, spoke, we just spoke about the money clip, but that, that move stinks. I don't, it's, it's very funny. He's a very, very funny wrestler in that he's, 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 he's boring, kind of. He's very... He comes out and he looks like he's got no confidence in the world whatsoever. He's the only six-man tag champion that comes out with that belt <laughs> because it's his pride and joy, and it's his it's his first belt in his eight fucking what, years. Eight fucking. Oh he came God. back. Jan, Jan, Wrestle Kingdom, whatever number it is, the twenty twelve one, uh, six, I think. So the same show Okada returned on. <laughs> I think everything right. Okada did since then. Yoshihashi took eight like, years to win the wasn't fucking. He the same, wasn't he in the same young line class as Naito for a bit as well? I think. I think that sounds right. I think so. I, so. I mean, that that I mean that guy's trajectory is you know it's mm. it's it's going high, and he's just he, I mean his ring gear also sucks. He look he looks he looks like shit, but I don't know. There's there's like a little there's a nice little like yeah come on Yoshihashi you can do it, and maybe maybe that's his charm is that he's just a shitty pro wrestler. I think he's good. Like I think he's good selling. He selling's pretty good. I think he can be pretty good at like firing up and getting you behind him, but yeah, his offense is so bad, it's just horrible. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> so you've almost got to take yourself out of the, like, convince yourself like, oh, this guy's going to have this guy's going to look like he's going to hit some bad double knees. He's going to hit some some pretty bad drop kicks. He's going to do some pretty awful looking submissions. You just you don't have to accept that and accept that Juice Robinson is going to have to sell for them. To sort of like this match, and I kind of like this match. I thought this was a pretty good match. Yeah, this was good. That's the other thing. It's like you know, um, they. I'm seeing what spots I really liked here. There's like Yoshi, this big delayed power bomb. After I just said his move sets were terrible, he did. He did a great oh, yeah, power that bomb. Was great, but he's never done that before. Yeah, I, I think he's done the running liger bomb before. But yeah, this was like a big delayed power bomb where he del- he, he did a sunset flip over Juice. Uh, you know, from the turnbuckle to the ring, and then like this big power bomb that got a two count. His axe bomber is good too. That's another good move. Uh, that got a two count as well. Uh, and you know what? Okay, I'm, I'm identifying Yoshi moves I like. The Karma is a great finisher. Karma looks awesome. Why does he not do I that have, more often? And so that I fucking butterfly lock, I can't tell you. But you know, uh, he eventually does get Juice locked in that stupid fucking butterfly lock. Um, you know, the crowd here, like you said, tried to rally Juice. You know, organically with his with the boom boom clap thing he already taught them. Milano was just saying it out loud. That was really funny. He was like boom boom clap, boom boom. Clap. Oh yeah, <laughs> thought that I was like funny. That. I like uh, that. Yoshi, like I, he weirdly he like tried to turn it into a slightly different hold, uh, but because he's Yoshihashi, somehow that looked even worse than the butterfly hold. Well, like I, he was sort that. of like moving it around. I don't know how to describe it. Like into like a, a half Nelson or something. It was very weird looking. You know um, how the, the butterfly 
Juice stood out of stood up out of it, so Yoshi slammed him down, hit the Swanton Bomb, which another move that looks good. So we're identifying some good Yoshi moves, but he never does a Swanton Bomb anymore. Uh, so that's one of the problem. Uh, Juice kicked out two point nine. Um, Yoshi went for the Karma. Juice fought his way out of it. Uh, both guys like stood up and like exchanged these chops. And Yoshi went with a spin kick, but Juice like took his head off with a short arm lariat. When's the last time Juice Robinson did a lariat? I can't remember him ever doing that really before. Can you? No, well, like, yeah, I, I mean, he probably does do clotheslines, but like, you know how everyone's got a big explode out of the gates move? Mm-hmm. Like in, in, a, in a sequence, like, Juice doesn't Juice use the fist? Yeah, than, Juice uses the fist more yeah, than the yeah. yeah, right. But I think, hey, in, Yoshi actually sold that well too. Yeah. So for all the shitting on him, I just did. Yeah, you know, he had a pretty good um, match. Yeah, so you know, Yo- Juice ended up getting well. Juice went for Pulp Friction. Yo- Yoshi like escaped and rolled him up for two count. That was a, a two count, and that was a great near fall. Like I thought he was actually going to get the pin with that. I, I, I was, I was, I got, I got um, sucked in. Yeah, for that. And then, but then Juice hit like a pair of left hand of God punches, and then finally hit the Pulp Friction for the pin. But yeah, oh, I mean, first left hand of God, like he spun around. Hit him and then hit him again. Yeah, I thought that looked. I looked, thought that looked awesome. But yeah, this started out pretty boring, but at least it made sense because they were going way longer than I expected them to go—almost 16 minutes. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they—they they had this turned to a pretty damn good match, and I—I I would go three and a half. I liked it. I liked it. So I went exactly three and a half too. Yeah, pretty good. Uh, Toriano versus Sonata. Toriano defeated Sonata in six sixteen by countout. Uh, this is the match that has made some people go completely insane. I mean, I I posted on my Twitter this one uh, 0.0 review on cage match by this guy who honestly sounded like Toriano came to his home and, like, killed his family in front of him. I was like, come on, buddy. It's a six-minute wrestling match, and it's Toriano. If you don't know... But if you haven't figured it out by now, because this guy also said he might have to start skipping Toriano matches after ten years of oh, watching, okay. and it's Hang like, on. it's Hang like on. that doesn't add up. That's what he said. That's what he claimed. It's like, okay. sir, if you needed ten years to figure out whether or not you're into Toriano, I don't know what the fuck to tell you. I mean, like, this should have been pretty obvious by now. Either watch these matches or don't. But like. 10 years it's like what the yeah. fuck <laughs> i mean yeah. Uh, yeah that's i'm a bit lost for words for that sort of that's that's quite a bizarre train of thought to have there's a there's a funny guy actually on the you know the new japan schedule mm-hmm. like on the on their website yeah. and you know how it's connected to the, it's like the it's connected to like facebook comments or you can like comment on the actual schedule page and there is a guy who vehemently support Sonata on those, like a, like a Western fan. Mm-hmm. And like whenever he's sort of like, this is like when he lost to Evil in the New Japan Cup, it was, this is a waste of time. Why do we even do this? So maybe it was that guy. Maybe it was the Sonata <laughs> fan. Well, somebody did reply to my tweet and say they know that person and it was a Sonata super fan. So you're probably just mad. Oh that, so it could have been this person. Yeah. Wow. Crazy. Yeah, you might have been right. Uh, but I mean, this is like an average match. This is completely fine. I, I went, guess, yeah, I went, I went two and a half. I mean, it wasn't, oh. it wasn't the funniest comedy match I've ever seen, but it was amusing enough. I don't know. I didn't. Think it was, I, I thought it was better than it was funny. Mm. Like, if that, that makes sense to you, like I thought, 
the execution of moves was better than the comedy they tried to tell. Yeah. I do like Snyder's new look. Yeah, Snyder's new look is great. Like, I think he was well overdue for it. Yeah. Uh, and I thought he looked. I thought he looked fantastic. I, I, I know people hate the paradise lock, but I kind of look at wrestling as um, sort of outing myself as a, as a gigantic nerd, but as, as like a battle sort of anime where things make sense in that universe. And the paradise lock makes sense in that universe. It's not like, it's not like the Minoru Suzuki's of the world get put in it and immediately go out. Like once you're in that lock, you're sort of stuck in it until he drop kicks you. Like Suzuki just or until or until a young lion gets rolls you over, as you found out. Yeah, yeah, that's what I didn't really get. Why would you do that? <laughs> like, what the fuck is wrong with you, Imura? Why are you yeah. helping him out here? Are I you mean, not even inside? You're in chaos. No, yeah, I was just saying it, ma- it makes sense when Rocky Romero does that, but yeah. I don't know why he did that, and I don't know then why Sonata would then try to put him in the lock himself. <laughs> so a bit of a contrived finish, but it's Yano. What are yeah. we? Gonna, we're probably going to say that nine times. Yeah. I mean, Yano roll. Yano basically taped it together in Murab one. But yeah, I don't. I, 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 there's not a ton to say. It's six minutes. I thought it was fine. Uh, it did not. It was not like an affront to humanity, like the other guy thought. So <laughs> you know. Uh, the next match: Kenta defeating Hiroki Goto with the game over in a match that New Japan did not list the time up for some reason. So let me see if Cage Match has it, because not only do I want to, not only do I want my listeners to know, but I am legitimately curious now. So let's see. I bet you it. I bet you it went shorter than what it felt like. Yeah, I don't know why. I, that's the first time I've ever seen them not have a match time in the results. I don't know what they're, what they were doing there. But let's see. According to Cage Match, it was seventeen uh, fifteen. Okay, guess that's about what I would have expected. Oh, okay. Oh well, yeah, mate. Felt long longer in parts, I guess. Yeah. So we already talked about how Kenta brought his U.S. Challenger briefcase all the way yep. to Japan with him, which is really funny. Uh. But yeah, since so like the fans can't boo Kenta, Kenta decided to boo the fans. I thought that was kind of funny. He was like, "Bro," like pointing at them. But they seem they seem pretty happy to see him. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a, I think this was a tough show to get any legitimate uh, heat, unless you've been around for a while. Yeah, uh, you know. So Kenta did some stalling early on, um, but they ended up on the you know end up on the floor again, and you know they were tossing each other the railing and stuff like that. Not the most exciting opening few minutes, but what are you going to do? So Kenta had promised to win this match with the game over because he had also won the uh, GHC heavyweight title in the same building, uh, whatever, however many number of years earlier, around the same time from Takashi Morishima with the game over. So he basically said he was going to do the same thing again. Uh, I can look up the data that actually I have right in front of me. But yeah, like, so that kind of makes sense, I guess. Uh, Oh no, it was actually January 2013. What the hell is he talking about? I guess he just saw it because of the same building. Doesn't matter to him. Yes, it's a different same time. building. Yeah. But uh but I thought he was doing it because it was the same building and like I don't know, the same month or something. But uh but yeah, so he went for it pretty early. Like there was this, this great little Matt wrestling bit where like uh you know go Kent Godo kept trying to tell Kenta to hit him with these kicks. Kenta was throwing these really hard kicks throughout this entire match. But Godo kept like telling shrugging him off and telling him to hit some more. And he tried to answer and, like, run him with a lariat. But Kenta got this awesome arm capture into a triangle and, like, turned it right over into the game over. Like, a really great transition. Not the kind of, you know, really, really smooth. You know, you don't think of Kenta as, like, a great mat wrestler or technician. But he was... That was great. So, I wanted to call that spot out. Uh, you know, there was, like, a, around the 10-minute call, 
you know, Goto started going after Kenta's arm a little bit, like snapped it over the top rope. So they were both like, you know, trading these arm holds and stuff. Uh, you know, Goto was like kicking at it while he's on the mat and he got a Fujiwara arm bar on Kenta. Uh, Kenta had to crawl over, but he eventually did manage to make the bottom rope. Uh, later on in the match, we had Kenta going for the go to sleep, but Goto escaped. Uh, Kenta tried to like light him up with these, uh, you know, with these slaps to the face, but Goto completely no sold him and hit the Ushigoroshi. That looked awesome. And then Goto tried to take him back down to the arm bar. He was like really pulling back on the arm. As you got the 15-minute call, that Kenta made the ropes again. Uh, the only thing that kept me from going four on this instead of what I went, which was three and three quarters, there was like a minor botch right before the finish where Kenta was trying to take Goto down and the game over, but they both seemed to get kind of lost and couldn't quite pull it off. So that kind of sucks, especially since it was the finish. But, uh, you know, they did finally get the takedown, and Goto nearly makes the ropes, but Kenta spins him back over, and Goto has no choice but to tap. But, yeah, I really liked a lot of this match, the smooth mat work. The submissions transitioned from both guys. It was a very different kind of match than I expected from both guys. I expected, I guess, more like their Wrestle Kingdom match, which I loved a lot. With I went four and a half on that one. But, you know, you did still get the hard kicks from Kenta, but you didn't get, like, nearly as much, like, standing and trading. But, you know, like I said, you take points off of the finish, but I went three and three quarters. And very encouraging sign from Kenta that he won completely clean with no bullshit at all. So none of that NGPW strong stuff we saw from him. So hopefully he keeps that up in the entire tournament. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely the, the po- best positive I took out of this match was that how he how he won. But I, I maybe I'm just sort of bit off Goto a little bit just from him being such a such a non factor really. Um, I know he's he's got cool moves, but when he never wins with them, like what's like how how much can you how much stock can you really put in them? And Kenta as well, I think he's a little slower and not as tight as he used to be. So I, I was a little disappointed by this. Um, this could have also just been a little fatigue as well, a little like low point in my own watching since I, I was, I've watched a ton of wrestling this weekend. Yeah. Uh, like I still thought it was good. Like I probably would have gone around that three and a quarter, three and a half. But yeah, like I found myself sort of checking my phone a little bit in this match too. Mm. But I think it's just, these are just two guys that, I don't really care about when they fight each other. Like, I'm going to care a lot more when Tanahashi... Uh, not Tanahashi, Goto. I was getting excited for a match later. But Goto will wrestle Naito, or when Kenta will wrestle Naito. Like, I, I will care a lot more about I can't those wait, two guys. I really can't wait for Tanahashi Goto for some reason. I thought that's what you were going to say. And they used to be, like, a staple rivalry, too. And Oh, I mean, I think that match will be good. And yeah. I will definitely... I think that's a... Ma- I'm pretty sure that's a main event yeah, as well. Yeah, I think, I think um, so, maybe. But, yeah, I'll care, I'll care a lot. Like it'll be, this will be the same when when Kenta wrestles Yoshihashi. Yoshihashi, like I just, I think I will struggle to sort of care about it. All right, that's it's, fair. Like, but that's that's, but maybe you know what? That might be the first show in a couple of days, the first match in a couple of days I've seen. So maybe I'll be way more into it. But you know, as, as it stands, like this was maybe the twelfth or fifteenth. You know, like that yeah. sort of range match I've seen. Right. With two guys I don't really care all that greatly for. Right. Uh, the semi-main event, Zack Sabre Jr. defeating Evil in 1454 at the European Clutch. Uh, this was my pleasant surprise of the night. I really liked this. Um, so did I. Yeah, so I thought, I. I mean, just watching Zack get to play underdog babyface, it's so unlike anything he does in New Japan. It was really kind of fun. The same kind of I'm way with, like... Weird. 
barbs that he's, he shoots at people. Yes. Like, <laughs> because it's against such a dastardly heel, it's babyface jabs now. You know, like, very, very funny dynamic. But it's very similar to when Taichi faced Jay White last year, which he's going to face again this year, so that'll be fun to see him probably play babyface again too. But yeah, I mean, like, look, people kept asking where Taichi was. The A Block people probably weren't even the building folks. Kayfabe, they were, maybe they, they probably were in real life, but in, in canon, they were, like, sitting in the hotel, uh, I don't know, getting massages or whatever to get ready for the next show. So Taichi wasn't there to save Zach. They're already on, they're already on their way to Sapporo. Yeah, they, they there you go. Uh, but yeah, so like, you know, Zach worked this as the total baby face, um, which is just really fun to watch and evil. I mean, I've always thought they worked together well in their previous matches too, but obviously the dynamic was completely flipped here because, you know, evil was the baby face before when he was in LIJ facing Zach. Um, you know, Zach at the one point evil, like, uh, like he gives the throat slash and he goes for an STO. But Zach counters like with a sleeper and goes like for the Zach driver, like really great transition. But Evil like went to the eyes again to break, uh, and then Zach like trapped both arms and got this really close two point nine nine count on a near fall, and then transitioned like seamlessly into an arm hold on the mat. Uh, and this is where Dick Togo started getting involved. Which again, I get it, people hate it, but it it doesn't bother me as much. First of all. It doesn't bother me nearly as much, which I said going into the tournament, when the matches are going 15 minutes instead of 35, which this is going 14.54. So it's exactly what I predicted, you know, before the tor- before the tournament with Evil and all these semi-main events. It's like, at least you only have to deal with uh, the interference at the end of a 15-minute match and not the end of a 35-minute match. I do think there's a big difference there. But yeah, I mean, like, Zach overcame it too, which also probably just makes it... Oh, that absolutely helps. Yeah. As well. But yeah, so like, you know, you basically Zach and uh, Zach like trapped his legs or trapped his uh, leg between his legs when he tried to go for a low blow. That was kind of funny uh, or kind of cool looking. I think he's done that before, honestly. But um, but yeah, then you know, evil went for the evil, but Zach suddenly countered with his elaborate roll up, the European clutch. And that got the pin. Milano was like chanting ZSJ, ZSJ at the end. Oh, that was, was so funny. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's such, that's such just good continuity as well. Like, of course, Milano, like Milano's not just going to hate, stop hating evil randomly um, after the Nido feud or whatever, because mm-hmm. like, like evil ran him into the, into the, into the <laughs> barricade. Like, of course he's going to hate him forever. Yeah. I mean, it's great. They, they they do they do a really good job with that stuff, but yeah, this match I went three and three quarters. I really liked it. I thought you know, Evil kept up with the grappling. Uh, it was a very fun fun change of pace seeing Zach as a baby face overcoming the odds. Uh, I didn't quite didn't quite think it was a four star match, but I really liked it. Yeah, I really liked it too. I went I went three and three quarters as well, um, which means we're we're both accurate star raiders. There you go. But I, but I liked. I really liked Evil in LIJ. I thought he was a good number two gatekeeper, Hoss type of guy that could have these really good, you know, he had he would have really good G1. Sometimes he'd get lost in his long main events um, whenever he had them. But I really liked him. And obviously the, the, the cheating, he, he's working a lot slower and a lot more deliberate now. Um, and the cheating also doesn't probably help the matches a lot. But I like when people say he's bad and he's always been bad, that's like that's not true. Yeah, it, it, he was getting universal praise in last year's G1. Like he was knocking it out of the park almost week, um, 
nightly in that last year's tournament. Yeah, I don't know. So, I don't know what people. I've heard those critiques turn. I don't know what the fuck people are talking about. He's a good professional wrestler. He's just wrestling a really, you know, boring style to try and get a new character over that. You know, I personally aren't that big of a fan of, but whatever. But I thought Zach, Zach's, Zach really was a great foil for that style. So every time, he, you know, Evil went for a, a, you know, some sort of boring, slow control spot, and then Zach would get him in an octopus. You're like, oh my God, yes, come on, Zach. Like, this is, you know, like you can tap him out wherever with whatever. Like, yeah, just keep putting him in these holes. Keep, keep doing it. And he, you know, he didn't tap him out in the end, but, but got him with just as good of a sneaky Zack Sabre Jr.-esque move. Yeah. So, I, I mean, it's, uh, you know, I, I, I don't really think the evil always suck thing. I don't get, and I, I think he like. There's times where like the old evil sneaks through, like when he does it. Anything where he's like running really fast and like throwing lariats and stuff, which he did at one point during this match. But yeah, I don't know. I hope he transitions into doing a little bit less of the bullshit and more of the old evil as time goes on. But uh, you know, I, I think we're stuck with this for a while, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, I think this is the direction all tournament long. But hey, he's either going to get beaten in the finals or he's going to get beaten in the block finals. Yeah. So you can cheer very loudly for, for, mm-hmm. at those times. But yeah, the main, I really liked him in that. Uh, in the, I mean, like, look, the Naito Evil matches. I know a lot of people hated them completely. I thought they, I thought they were both pretty good, but uh, you know, just not up to maybe the level that people uh, wanted. I guess for big New Japan main events, which I get. But I still, I will go to my grave thinking those matches were pretty good. So. Hey, I, I mean, I thought I thought that first Dominion one was pretty boring, but I went four stars on the Jingu show. Okay, I think I went, uh, I think I went four on Dominion and three and three quarters on Jingu. Okay, uh, yeah, I really didn't like Dominion just because I thought that was. I don't think I don't think that really placed Nardo's strengths of him lying on the ground for thirty minutes, having a five minute post spot, then getting uh, group wide. I thought I thought Nardo so selling in that match was awesome though. But. Yeah, but I, I think his selling is good, and I think people underrate his selling because he doesn't sell like you know he's been shot dead in his knees. Like he actually. Well, yeah, we'll talk. We'll talk about this in, in a second. Yeah. When we get to the main event because he he was incredible in the main event with that. He's like he is like one of the great all time great sellers when it comes to you know being subtle and not fucking selling everything like like you said like you're getting shot, which is unfortunately how a lot of people sell nowadays. But uh, yeah, so let's talk, let's talk. Well, let's go right to the main event then. So Tetsuya Naito. Yeah. Defeat Hiroshi Tanahashi in 27-16 with the Destino. Uh, I am definitely on the side that says this is a match of the year contender. Uh, I I loved the shit out of this match. I I was like, I was thinking like, oh, this is around four and a half. And then I was like, what have I rated four and a half this year? This is probably better than that. But then I was like, what have I rated four three quarters? Mm, I don't know if that stacks up against. So I stuck with four and two thirds that dreaded rating. But then later in the night, I started thinking about spots in that match that I hadn't, like, without, like, being on Twitter. Like, I was just in my head just thinking about certain spots in that match. And I was like, no, you know what? Like, if I'm doing that, then that's a, that's a, that's a four and a three-quarter star match of the year contender for me. I love this match. This was this was just incredible. This is by far the best match in the COVID era. Yeah, is, not even. This, I mean, I gave the exact same rating, four and three quarters, and I also think it's by far the best COVID era match. I mean, I haven't gone four, this, I haven't gone over four and a half on anything in the COVID era until no, this. neither have I. Yeah. Four and a quarter was my like roof, and I would, I would be very strict on sort of like I would have to be a legitimate four and a half to get to four and a half. I didn't want to just give a four and a half because I wanted to give one. Yeah. So like, but this was this was 
by far and away. I, I don't. I'm. I like looking up and down the cards and no, sort of knowing what we're going to get out of Okada. I don't think. I think this is a pretty good chance to be in the match of the tournament as well. Yeah, I mean, this is this could be it. I mean, this was an incredible match. And I really think Naito in the next three nights, B Block nights, where he's got ZSJ, uh, Godo, and Sonata in main events. I think there's a really good chance he can have. He could be the best wrestler in this tournament, and it's not. And it's not just because he's my favorite wrestler. Yeah, like he's like he's gonna he's the champion in the G1. He's gonna he's gonna put these shows on his back, and he's gonna deliver. I mean, he really did here, so you know. And this is yeah. not to take anything away from Tanahashi either, who was also incredible. I mean, this was like this a, a vintage Tanahashi. This was his best performance in a long, long time. Yeah, vintage Tanahashi here. Um, so you know, they did the match starts out very slow as you'd expect because they were going long, but not even like as slow as that. Okada, it's just deliberate. It's just like a deliberate. Oh, I'm gonna wrap you up like we're feeling each other out. I'm gonna wrap you up, sort of. Yeah, place. I was gonna say it was nowhere near as boring as the start of Okada and Bushi. Whoa, like there is. was this, there was this awesome spot where Naito did the you know like this fake out, the fake out dive in the tranquilo pose, and Tanahashi tried to come back in and hit a senton, and Naito just <laughs> rolled backwards into another tranquilo pose. It's like what a perfect. what a badass. It was, but, yeah, it's just like every. I feel like everything, even in the longer Naito matches, I feel like. He is able to. I don't know whether whether or not it's just through his ex, like expression or his crowd connection or whatever. But he's like you know when they're when they're doing wrist locks and stuff. Like it feels like that matters a lot more to when long like Okada is doing those in his longer matches. Like it feels like there's a lot more gravity to everything that happens in a great Naito match. Yeah. Um, so there was a, you know, we got the, the flipping senton off the middle rope pretty early and Tana landed on him pretty hard and that got a two count. Uh, after that point, Tanahashi started going to the, the dragon screws. Uh, you know, we got our first one of the match with Naito rolling to the floor to escape and Tanahashi follows with an amazing high fly flow cross by to the floor, just wipes Naito out. Naito takes those standing high fly flows better than anyone else in New Japan. Because he is... He is the most underrated base, I think. As like a one-person base for dives. Yeah. I mean, he just bumps his ass off for everything, so that always makes everything yeah, look true. better. Um, but yeah, so the Naito barely beats a 20 count, and which I thought was a subtle little thing for Tanahashi, because Tanahashi normally would not try to beat people by taking a count out, but I guess the idea is now he's so desperate with how... You know his 2020 is going, and how you know he might he might not be able to hang anymore. Like he's just like, give me the count out. I don't care anymore. I'm not tossing him back in the ring. But yeah, Naito barely beats the 20 count. He gets caught with a dragon screw in the ropes by Tanahashi when when Naito's trying to get back in the ring, which is also kind of a dick move. So I don't know if I think Tanahashi's kind of leaning into that, you know, uh, doing what he has to do. Uh, Tana tries to turn Naito over the Texas Cloverleaf. Uh, Naito rolls Tanashi up into a cradle for a close two count. He does an amazing job, something that he can barely stand, but still manages to hit a, a, this that huge spine buster he does. He basically did the spine buster on one leg, which is like that subtle stuff where he, you know, it's not like his leg is broken, but like he has to do his move on one leg, which is like there's so many wrestlers I feel like I complain about who just do all their moves exactly the same after they get all the leg work, but then just after, between moves, they clutch their leg, like, oh, my leg. Where it's like, that, that's not that's not selling the leg. I'm sorry. It should impact you while you're doing moves, too. Which it did here for Naito. Yeah, or, or, they, go the, or they go the complete 
other extreme of like collapsing. Yeah, I was like, well, if your leg's that bad, shouldn't the referee be calling? I don't know if I don't know if you've ever played ever played like sport before, but if you ever like jar a knee in basketball, you're not like clutching your knee like this is this is it for me like you're tr- you're like hobbling around trying to make it look like you're not hurt right and that's, that's, what, that's, that's what Nato did throughout that. this match yeah absolutely and that's what he does in all these knee matches uh Naito hits the top rope Rana on Tanahashi but Tanahashi rolls through it into a sunset flip for a very close 2.9 count I think they did that at least in one other match before maybe the G1 one it's just such an awesome spot of oh, the G1 2017 I mean uh Tanahashi does gives him two straight Grounded dragon screws and locks Naito in the cloverleaf. Uh, Naito like struggles and struggles. Sells like he might be going out, which is how Tanahashi beat him at Dominion 2017. He had him in the cloverleaf, and Naito like went out, like went unconscious from the pain without ever tapping. So I thought that was a really cool touch that they were selling like they might do that finish again. But Naito, you know, finally makes for the ropes to break at that point. Um, you know, there's a again, there's a great spot where like Naito. You know, he, he goes for the flying forearm, but he does, like, a great job not having his usual speed or leap behind it because he's still sliding the leg. And then lets Tanahashi move easily to the side to avoid it and hit the capture German for a close 2.9 count. Um, oh, man, that, that was a great near fall. Because he's beaten people with that move before. Yeah. Like, admittedly, it'd be, like, young lines or juniors or whatever yeah. in, like, multiple tags. But, you know, who, you never know with these, like, who... Could this be a new G1 move he's trying to get over? So, like, that legitimately got me, that near fall. Uh, and then Naito came back with a rolling capo kick and then the swinging DET off the ropes. Again, awesome job. He's not doing everything with the exact same, like, crispness or speed as usual to sell the leg. Uh, and he does, like, grab it, too, afterwards. Uh, we get the 20-minute call. Naito tries. This was awesome. He goes for Valencia. He gets Tanahashi up, but Tanahashi just fucking falls on him in midair, which is such a great counter. Like, just... Go straight down. Oh, no, that was a sling. He counted that into a sling blade. Oh, I didn't even notice that. Yeah, okay. yeah no, he didn't count it into a sling blade. Incredible spot. I thought oh he just turned God. it into, like, a cross body. No, it was like a sling... Because remember, he couldn't hit the sling blade a few times before that. Right, so right, the, right. Man, God, I love this match. It was so good. Uh, Tanashi tried for, like, some kind of cross-leg suplex, but Nato turned it into Destino in midair, which looked awesome. And then both guys were down again. Uh, they get back up. They start trading elbow shots. Naito's still bouncing up and down on one leg to sell the leg injury. I don't. I saw some people say he wasn't selling the leg. I don't know what the fuck, Matt. They were watching. I mean, these are people that have never played sports in their life. You just hand, you hand wave them. They've never played sports. They don't know how. Like they've never been hurt in their lives. So. It's just very bizarre because it's like he was selling the leg the entire match. There are plenty of wrestlers who completely forget about the leg injury in their matches. Just Naito in this match was not one of them. He was selling it the for much longer after Tanahashi. The only time he quote-unquote maybe stopped selling it was like, I don't know, 10 minutes after Tanahashi had last hit the leg at all. So it's like, yeah, at that point, of course he's not going to... Like, at some point, the leg is not bothering him as much, you know? Like, in the very, very end of the stretch run, I think Naito did kind of, like, not sell it as much. But, like, he hadn't touched the leg in, like, 10 minutes, you know? This wasn't a... To me, this wasn't a leg match, Right? Like, they no, didn't do the entire... Can... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, sorry. I was just like... But you can also, like, will yourself to, like, expl- like explode once on a bad knee. Yeah. And, like, without it really, like, becoming an issue. But I don't know. I just... I saw that critique, and I'm just like, I don't... He saw the, like, awesome throughout this entire match, and the time when he, quote-unquote, forgot about it, maybe, like, he... Tanahashi hadn't touched the leg in, like, 15 minutes. I mean, it's like, whatever. Um... 
But yeah, Naito, uh, he just like, he gets those repeated back elbows. I love when he does that now. He like grabs the guy's arm and just elbows the shit out of him like he's like Brian Danielson in like 2005. Such a great little spot. Um, and he just keeps throwing the elbows while holding on the arm. Uh, Tanahashi just screaming in pain. Great selling by him. You know, finally wipes him out completely. Uh, Naito gives him the Gloria for a two count. He winds him up and goes for Destino, but Tanahashi counters in the twisted shout. Hits two more of them. Uh, goes for the sling blade, but Naito counters it. But then Tanahashi gets it anyway. And we got the 25-minute call. Only five minutes left. So now you're starting to think maybe they're, uh, you know, maybe they're just going to go the 30-minute draw, which I had actually picked in the, you know, in the uh, okay. pick em. So I was like, hmm, maybe they're really going to do it. Uh, and then Tanahashi hits a second sling blade, heads up top, waits for Naito to stand back up, hits a huge standing high fly flow crossbody. Naito again, excellent job. Like incredible. he. He leaps right into it. Like, it looks like it kills him. Such a great... He, nobody takes that move like he does. It's so good. Uh, Tanahashi goes for a, the high fly flow to the front. Naito rolls out of the way. So just when you think the ace was going to pull it off, uh, Naito just barely gets out of it. Uh, Naito hits the running Destino for a two count. He hooks him for the real one. Tanahashi lands back on his feet. So Naito quickly hits the Valencia. Uh, he goes for the real Destino, and that's enough for the pin. Uh, you just... I mean, outstanding fucking wrestling match between two of the very best to ever do this. Um, you know, broken down, quote-unquote, or not. They were both just incredible here. Uh, I can't quite pull the trigger on the full five just because I've seen them have slightly better matches. Uh, you know, two of the three matches in 2017 were the full five for me. I think this was not quite up to that level. Uh, you know, some of the Destinos at the end could have looked a little smoother. That's probably nitpicking. But again, nittiest of nitpicks. Uh, four and three quarters, my number three match of the year, behind only Naito Okada, which is my only full five, and Kaito and Go from the Noah One Four show. I mean, incredible match, absolutely incredible match. Funnily enough, this is my number three match of the year too, uh-huh. behind uh, the that AEW Revolution tag and the Naito Okada match at number one. Yeah. Uh, I did not like the revolution tag that much, so no, probably I, not surprising yeah, to people. Uh, I'm not surprised. But... Uh, it was on. If you want, to, I actually talked about it on the Omakase Patreon. So if you want to hear my takes on that, the episode I did with Nate from Everything Elite, the five matches episode, he picked it as one of his matches. So you can hear all my takes on that on the uh, Patreon.com/slash Wrestling Omakase. I'm not going to spoil them anymore. Go to the Patreon, five bucks. Anyway, um, but yeah, incredible match. I mean, what else can you say? It really, yeah, it's, uh, as, I, like, as I said, I think Nino is going to put this block on his back, especially because he's, he's the champion, he's got the most night, main events. Uh, I think this block will also get better when you get when you separate these two, so then you can have a Tanahashi match and a Naito match, and you also sort of separate some of the other people as well. So I think this block isn't as bad as what people are saying it is. Like, when you separate Sonata and Yano, you're going to get a better, like, you're going to get a better Sonata match. So I'm, I'm actually looking forward to this block, just also from it's interesting as well, because I think we know who's going to come out of the A block. Yeah. Whereas there's a, probably at least two people that can definitely come out of this block. But mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really... I'm, I've got a G1 fever. Yeah. I mean, this first two nights were awesome. I, I like the B block night better. I mean, this main event was awesome. And I, I know some people said they weren't into the B block, but like you said, I think Nigel's going to have some really good matches here. I think there's plenty of other stuff on the undercard that I'm interested in. So I, I, I thought the first two nights, I thought the B-block won. But, you know, not the A-block is bad. I mean, 
it still had, uh, you know, two four-star-plus matches, but, you know, just a really great start to the G1. Uh, okay, so let me give the standings real quick. The A block, uh, we have Kota Ibushi, Will Ospreay, Minoru Suzuki, Taichi, and Jay White, all 1-0 with two points. Uh, Jeff Cobb, Okada, Ishii, Shingo Takagi, and Yujiro all with zero points. Uh, the B block, you have Juice, Yano, Naito, Zack, and Kenta all with two points. And Tanahashi, Goto, Yoshihashi, Sonata, and Evil all with zero points. So there you go. There's your standing so far. Uh, I'm going to give my top five matches after the first two nights. So we kind of, you know, kind of said them all anyway, but might as well just give them the ranking here. Uh, I have Goto versus Kenta from night two at three and three quarters in my in fifth place. Uh, Cobb versus Taiji from night one, three and three quarters in fourth. White versus Shingo, night one, four and a quarter at third. Suzuki and Ishii, night one, four and a quarter in second. And obviously Naito and Tanahashi uh, from night two, four and three quarters in first. So I just said I liked night two better, but I had three night one matches. So they're both great, though. What do you? I mean, the, that that fucking main event is so overwhelming to me that like it almost. Well, when, that's when you have a great main event, that makes the show feel better. Yeah, but I I like the undercard too. I saw some people say they didn't like the undercard, but I thought there was plenty of good stuff on it. But uh, so that's the last thing we can say here is we can look ahead to the next show, which is September twenty third on Wednesday from Sapporo. Again, if you want to hear my review of that show, it will be on the Patreon episode, along with the next two and one shows from Noah. So that'll be on, or not the next two, because there's one in between, but like two more Noah shows will all be in one day. Uh, but yes, it's from it's an A Block show from Sapporo. Uh, it opens with Yuuimura against Gabriel Kidd. Then you have Jeff Cobb versus Shingo in a battle of winless opponents. There, uh, another battle of winless wrestlers: Okada versus Yujiro. Which we'll see if Okada can get anything. Oh, <laughs> I know the world was clamoring for that again. Uh, the fourth match, uh, two guys who I mean, this is my most anticipated match by a mile: Minoru Suzuki versus Taiji, both at two points. I cannot wait for that. I'm so fucking excited. Uh, I think this will be a good one. Yeah. The semi-main, Tomohiro Ishii at zero points against Osprey with two points, and the main event. Yeah, I'm sure it probably will. The main event, Kota Ibushi and Jay White, the rematch from last year's G1 Finals, both sitting at two points, too. So that'll be a big one. Mm, not not super into it. I mean, like, I think there's some good stuff on that card, but, like, I don't think that's a, a fiery A-block card. Mm, I mean, the top three to me are pretty damn good. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty excited. We'll see. But, yeah, that's your next card uh, in the G1. So, there you go. All right, folks. That means it's time to go to the NOAA N1 victory. Uh, so, I know we... This probably have to be a little bit shorter since we did talk so long about the G1. So I apologize to the Noah heads tuning in for this, but like the show also was kind of nothing. <laughs> so I mean, it's I I apologize, but also the show was not that good anyway. So it's not a ton to talk about. Would this be harsh? This was a uh, world tag league. Yeah, I mean, uh, this was single cam. Just wasn't a lot of fans there. There wasn't a lot of energy. And the wrestlers, you know, they, some of them tried. I mean, look, this was still better than probably every Champion Carnival show, I think. I would agree. I would, absolutely. <laughs> but, like, the energy was there, at least. But, like, yeah, the match quality was about about the same as uh, most of these Champion Carnival shows, honestly. So, just really nothing stood out that well. Uh, so, it opened up with Kenya Okada against Neo. Uh, of course, Kenya Okada is a young boy. Uh, yeah, Why are there so many goddamn Okadas in Japan now? I can't tell you, because New Japan, All Japan, Noah, I'll have one. Uh, 
But yes, Neo beat him in 1106. Uh, this was okay. I just thought it went a little too long. I mean, like, 11 minutes is a long way to go here for, especially for Neo, who's like, you know, the former uh, Hiroki, uh, you know, that people would call High 69 because that's how it's written. But yeah, I mean, like, I, I don't know. This just wasn't that great, honestly. Uh, very much just a match. I would say even maybe actually a little below average. I mean, I get went two and a quarter on it. Uh, definitely skippable and definitely went way too long for what it was. Yeah, I came into this sort of half late-ish because I just I went straight from G1 to N1. Mm-hmm. And I was still on a massive buzz from that main event. So this didn't really get the full attention. <laughs> it, uh, probably... Uh, well, it doesn't sound like it deserved no. my full attention, to be honest. But yeah, I wasn't because it wasn't a block match either. I didn't. I wasn't super uh, into it. Mm. But yeah, as you said, it was just a, it was fine. It was like fine. Yeah, yeah. It was. A, I don't even think it was like. I mean, it was like below average. I think. Uh, match two, the first N one victory match of the night in the B block. Uh, Naomichi Marufuji. Defeats Yoshiki Inamura in 12-23. Uh, this was Marafuji's first match of the entire tournament. He didn't wrestle on the first show. Uh, and Inamura, you know, took the L here and goes to 0-2. He had lost on the first show. So I should probably mention, too, for the people who aren't patrons, because I introduced the whole tournament on the Patreon, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a league with six guys in each block, uh, but they're only doing four matches on each night. So um, both nights... There's two people getting the night off, basically. Or every night, there's two people getting the night off. So they don't alternate blocks or anything. There's B and A block on every show. But, like, people get the night off every, you know, every show, so. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this was honestly not that great. I thought this was a very average match. I mean, really, the the finish was the only thing that saved it from below average territory for me. Uh, you know, there was, like, a really close spot where Inamura went for the crucifix bomb. But Marafuji reversed it into a Rana. And that was a nice spot, uh, you know, and the Marafuji hit, like, a uh, the kick combo, and then, like, Anita almost seemed to catch Inamura low, which he kind of sold it like it did, so that, that was kind of cool. Because I don't think Marafuji meant to hit him that low, but he sold it well. Uh, maybe he just really hurt, I don't know. <laughs> but then he finished it off with the tiger knee, I think he calls it, that knee, uh, that uppercut knee, kind of, and that got the pin. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I would say this is one that's very skippable, if you haven't seen this show yet. I mean, I only went two and a half on it. I just thought it was a very average match. Just not a lot to it. I I don't watch as n- enough Noah as I'd like to. Every time I drop in for a show, I always enjoy myself. And I always like say, I'm going to watch more. I'm going to watch more. I never do. Uh, so I think because it's just, again, like I'm, I'm reopening my Noah door. I think I'm a, I think that's my, maybe why I'm a bit higher on this one than you. Like I still only went three on it. I thought it was like good. I like Marafuji as well. I think that's why. I thought Inamura, because I like his match on night one, probably had some goodwill with me here too. But I thought it was like a completely fine, acceptable, good match for this sort of show. Yeah. Uh, match number three was an eight-man tag. Daisuke Harada, Goshi Ozaki, Kaito Kiyomiya, and Yohei defeating the Congo team of Kano, Katsuhiko Nakajima, Hao and Tadasuke in 2019. Uh, go pin Nakajima, which is a big fucking deal, obviously. Well, uh, I, can you explain to me why <laughs> that happened? I don't know. It's a good, I haven't read anything like as far as like... I, Nakajima, I guess, just turned. 
Uh, this was very very bizarre booking. I, I don't know what... It was very surprising. I mean, Go pinned Nakajima clean with a lariat. Uh, the fans at ringside didn't even seem to know how to react to it, honestly. Uh, and I, 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 don't, I don't know. I mean, like, the fans were stunned. I was stunned. Um, I don't know what he said in the promo either. I'm trying to look that up now, actually. Uh, it seemed like he was. I, I wasn't. I, I wasn't really. I had the volume downish for this match, or towards the end of this match. But it looked like he was talking to Kano about something to do with their championships. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I don't. He, he was like obviously very pissed at him. I think that's obvious because for turning on him and all that. But yeah, I don't. It was just very. Uh, it was. He was very like I guess furious with him and like you know. Uh, and it's very bizarre to have him pin Nakajima right after Nakajima turned on him. Right, because isn't isn't that the big money match Noah has? It is. So I don't. It's, it oh. was a very bizarre finish. I haven't really read a. I haven't really read a good explanation for why, uh, for why that happened. But it that's what happened. That is what happened. So uh, I'm trying to see if he saw me. Uh, Noah has any translation here of the promo because I'm curious. Because yeah, it's like he was holding up his belt and sort of gesturing to Kano while Kano was doing a similar thing. Uh, yeah, so I don't know if he blames Kano for stealing his friend. Yeah, I don't know. He said know. he, he yeah, lost his temper very... when a wild look in his eyes. He screamed on the microphone. Uh, if he thought the league was so crap, he'd be the one to make it interesting. So I guess Nakajima had actually insulted the N one. So okay. okay, I don't know. It's very. That was from Hisami. It's uh, H-I-5-A-M-E on Twitter. She does a great job with uh, all the Noah translations and stuff. But yeah, I just, I, I don't know. It was very, uh, it was very bizarre. The I mean, the match itself was pretty good. It went, I mean, going 20 minutes for a random eight-man was yeah. really, really weird. It did go on a long time, but I thought there was good action throughout the match. Uh, I went like three and a quarter on it. I, it may have been my favorite match of the night, actually. <laughs> I mean, I may have liked this more than the other tournament matches, but uh, it's close at least. But I don't know. It was a uh, bizarre that it went this long. Bizarre that Go paid Nakajima. Uh, just very bizarre all around. I don't know. Very very weird. I do think it's an interesting wrinkle to the story, but also kind of confusing. Yeah. <laughs> At the same time. Yeah. I mean, Noah will have guys be. It's not like New Japan where they'll have where like if you're in a big tag and like you have lower guys, the lower guys always get pinned. Like Noah will have guys get pinned. Big people get pinned in these tags now. I mean. Go got tapped out by Sakuraba like right before the tournament started. So right, but I thought isn't that to do more with the story that Go is hanging on by? That's what I thought too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know, but like Go just coming back and pinning Nakajima is like okay. Yeah, that's, why, that's what's even more confusing. Not so much that like that's the money match is that doesn't that sort of go against this, this story you're telling about yeah. the the champion like scratching and clawing his way through these matches? Yeah. Oh well. I'm still going to watch. It. I mean, I'm interested still. Yeah, I, I, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's not. I, I, I'm. It's not like I'm. I'm not burying it or anything. I think, it, you know, I'm interested to see where they go, which is very, very, uh, very surprising for sure. Uh, the fourth match in the in the A block: Manabu Soya defeating Masa Kitamiya in 1256. Uh, actually, this was Kitamiya's first match of the tournament. He didn't wrestle on night one. Soya had lost on night one. Uh, this started very slow. I mean, given these two guys, I wasn't exactly expecting them to. You know, start doing handspring elbows or anything. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it picked up, and like, you know, there was a, a spot where Kitamiya gave Soya like this big knee crusher on the apron. Uh, that looked pretty cool. 
and you know we got this Indian Deathlock from Kitamiya, but Sawyer was able to make up the ropes fairly quickly. Uh, we got away from the leg work though into like this big meaty power battle like you'd uh, probably expect it, but I don't know like that. Sawyer like nearly took off Kitamiya's head off with a lariat. Uh, did another lariat that's not wasn't quite as good for a two count, and then he went straight into whatever his finish is that like weird headlock thing. Like, especially the fix cam had a terrible angle on it. Like, all you could see was his back, basically. Like, you couldn't see uh, Kitamiya, you know, struggling or anything. Like, all, like really, all you could see was Sawyer's back. So, they need to turn around on this single cam show, clearly. Uh, but, yeah, that ends up being the finish. So, you know, I don't know. I thought it was, like, three and a quarter again. Nothing that ever got to the next level. Uh, you know, but a fun little match. Especially when they started, like, running into each other like raging bulls. And I kind of wish that part of it had been a bit longer and they just skipped the leg stuff. Uh, but what are you going to do? Yeah. Did you see the uh, English Noah a Twitter account put up a picture um, of two hippos? Oh, that, that like, actually is Hisabi. That's a, that's not the official... Oh, that's Hisabi. Yeah, okay, yeah. But yeah, that, that is uh, funny. Uh, that, yeah, I, I like that match just sort of for that reason. Um, it, I Yeah, like as you said, it's a three and a quarter star match, but it's a it's like a fun three and a quarter star match on like a house show. Yeah, exactly. Not, like, I'm not expecting, I'm not expecting the world to the house to be burnt down with, you know, G1 main event style matches on these shows. Yeah. So I thought it was fun. And maybe, maybe I'm rating things differently on these sort of shows because I think they're good for these type of shows. Yeah. But I liked, I liked this match and I like, so I like, I, again, so had two good matches now in this tournament. Yeah. He's good. Uh, the semi-main event, Kazushi Sakuraba defeating Masaki Mochizuki in 8.28. Um, first of all, it's very cute how some of the ladies on camera were doing the Mochizuki arm raise, even though they can't actually yell out Mochizuki during the theme song. So, I thought that was cute. They were still keeping the spirit alive. But yeah, this was, you know, I mean, I, I wish this had gone longer, I guess. Uh, from what we got of it, I really liked it. I thought it was like about three and a quarter again. Um, you know, would have liked to see them trade more kicks or suplexes, because... When they were doing that, it was awesome. Um, but, you know, they they did, like, the... You got the kind of, like, mat wrestling you would expect. Um, one spot that annoyed me, that th- this isn't even a critique of this match as much as it is of wrestling in general. Like, Sakuraba, he gets his leg take... Gets his takedown into a leg lock. Mojizuki very quickly rolls over the ropes. But the referee doesn't actually force Sakuraba to completely break the hold. He just lets him roll back in the middle with the leg and reapply the hold, which is like, that always annoys me. It's like, it's, it's a rope break. You're supposed to uh, make the guy get off of him, not just like, you know, sort of stop applying the hold, but keep a hold of him and like reapply the hold. So I don't know. Like, it's one of these things in wrestling where it's like, sometimes rope breaks aren't really rope breaks. And it's like, uh, why a rope break should be a rope break. Like, what are we doing here? So that, that's, again, not really even a critique of just this matter. I see that like, pretty frequently. I'm just like, I don't I don't know why why are some rope breaks not rope breaks? Doesn't really make any sense. But uh, anyway, but the match itself, I liked it. I thought like I said, three and a quarter. Uh, you know, the the finish was awesome. That definitely, you know, helped it a lot. Where like Mochizuki tries to like he hits this twister, uh, the spinning brain buster, gets a two count. He tries to follow up with a German suplex hold. He gets the German suplex, but if Sakuraba kicks out of the hole of the bridge he just transitions right into the Kimura, just catches him, and Mojizuki has no choice for the tap out. So there you go, great finish. I'd say pretty good match again, three and a quarter. Yeah, so this was this was my match of the night. I had this at three and a half. I thought the eight minute 
actually help this. Like there was no time for anything other than business, really. Um, but yeah, again, what, what you you've touched on all the, that, that finish was awesome. I was actually kind of confused when I first saw it because I thought, because I thought, like I looked away for a second, I thought Mochi got him, and then I saw Sakuraba's arm being raised, so I had to go back and look at it again. <laughs> Like that's like sort of how clean and like smooth smooth it was, but yeah, that yeah, that was this was my match of the night, and I really got nothing else to say about it. It was it was good. Yeah, it's good. It's good stuff. Moch, again, Mochizuki's having another good tournament. Yeah, he was. I mean, I love that match with. Uh, so, like I said, if people haven't if people not on the Patreon didn't hear my thoughts on night one. Obviously, I love that match with Mochizuki and uh, Kaito. So, uh, the yeah, main that, of- was, oh, that was great match. That was awesome. The main event, Takashi Sugera defeating Shuhei Taniguchi in 2157. Uh, again, this was night of the three and a quarter for me because I went three and a quarter on this as well. Um, you know, the early portions were just so boring that, you know, and they were going 22 minutes, so I get it. But, like, I can't go higher than three and a quarter, even though I did like the rest of it quite a bit. But, like, you know, it just felt like it took 15 minutes for anything to happen. I mean, like, really, the first the note I the first note I have of anything good happening was like when they finally started trading hard elbows after the fifteen minute mark, which is like one of the like there's a superplex, and then like both guys end up on the, end up on the floor, and then like around the fifteen minute mark, like probably like five minutes pass before anything that interesting happens. But everything after that is pretty damn good, so that's why I went three and a quarter. There's like a lot of great uh, strike exchanges. Um, there, Sugera hit this pair of running knees and a German suplex where Tanaguchi kicked out at one. That was great. And he ran over and hit another running knee, and that got a two count. Uh, and then they, like, we had, like, the big headbutt exchange. Um, you know, the completely unnecessary shoot headbutt. There was one spot towards the end that confused me. Or what didn't confuse me. It just looked like crap. So Tanaguchi, he hit this, like, wacky slam, which almost looked like a full Nelson slam, except with his arms around the guy's stomach, almost like a rear waist lock, or he's a little bit higher. But that doesn't look very... It didn't look very good, because doing it from that position just made it look way more obvious that the guy taking the move uh, is doing the entire work and just, like, jumping up and down than a standard full Nelson slam does. So, I don't know. Right. They, you should retire that one, because that looked pretty stupid. And, and, you can't, and you can't give the illusion of getting any height... On um, on that when you grab him around the waist, either yeah. like at least full Nelson, like it's a taller looking move. Yeah, so it looks like you're getting them up higher. Yeah, that was. This I just looks like looks like a guy's just jumping. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I think yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of this match. Uh, uh, to be honest with you, I thought it was fine. I didn't like, I didn't love it. I thought it was, got really long in the tooth. But yeah, I was gonna give it three and a half, but then I hated the finish too because like I don't know, like Sugera. Sugira's getting his ass kicked. I, I I normally like flash pin finishes, but like Sugira's getting his ass kicked in this entire ma- this entire closing stretch, just getting killed by Tanaguchi, like with these elbows and headbutts and all this shit. And then like he just gets this one like weak looking Rana out of nowhere, and that's the pin. It's like, come on, Tanaguchi, you're kicking his ass. You can't kick out after like a one weak Rana. It just didn't look convincing at all. Like I don't know. Like flash pin finishes need to look like the guy got caught and just can't get out. And this looked like. He could have gotten out very easily. So this, this looked like the scheduled finish to a wrestling. Match. Yeah, exactly. So I took off a quarter star for that. So that's why I went three and a quarter. When I probably would have gone three and a half if not for that finish. Uh, but yeah, overall, just not a great show. If you're going to skip a Noah show in this uh, M1 victory, you could definitely skip this one. 
Uh, it was quite a bit worse than night one, which night one had, you know, two four-star matches I really liked. Well, night one was a great show. Yeah. And it looked great, too. Like, it, it felt it felt like a, a, a big show. Yeah. So, I mean, what are you going to do? But I'm, I'm, I'm going to hope it's just like a little one-off thing here where like they're going to, they're going to Corican next. So hopefully the, you know, I mean, we said the same thing with all Japan didn't happen, but hopefully yeah. at Corican. Uh, that, that Wednesday show is going to be on fight. So I think that have to put some effort in there. Like that, yeah. that's going to be a big deal. Yeah. So we have a Tuesday show and then two, uh, yeah, Wednesday doubleheader, but uh, there you go. All right. So the standing so far and the A block and remember there's a little more wacky than the new Japan standings because they've all wrestled different numbers of matches. So you have Goshi Ozaki and Kazuchi Sakuraba, who are both 1-0 with two points. Uh, you have Manabu Soya, who's 1-1 one one with two points. You have Kaito Kiyomiya, who's just got the 0-0-1, the one draw. He has one point. Mochizuki is 0-1-1. Uh, he's got one point. And Masaki Namiya is 0-1 with zero points. B-block, Takashi Sugera on top with 2-0, four points. Uh, then you have Naomichi Marafuji, 1-0 with two points. You also have Nakajima. 1-0 with two points, and you have uh, Kano 0-1 and Shuei Tanaguchi, both 0-1 with zero points, and Yoshiki Inamura 0-2 with zero points. Uh, I'm going to give my top five matches of the M1 so far. So in fifth place, and they're all from night one, so it's all five matches from night one. Fifth place, oh. I... Oh, no, actually, no. The fifth place is from night two. They can't all be from night one, because night one only have four tournament oh, matches. <laughs> yeah. Uh, fifth place is Misaki Mochizuki versus Kazuchi Sakuraba. In the A block, three and a quarter. That was my favorite match from this night two. Uh, then I had Goshi Ozaki versus Manabu Soya from the A block on night one. Went three and a half. Uh, third place, Sugera versus Inamura from the B block on night one. Also went three and a half. Second place, Kendo versus Nakajima from the B block on night one. Went four stars flat. And first place, Kaito Kiyomiya versus Misaki Mochizuki. A block, four and a quarter from night one. Uh... Was that also your favorite match, I guess, from the night one? As well? No, I liked, I liked um, the Kano Nakajima oh, match. okay. Uh, I liked that better. better. But, I, I mean, the draw was fantastic. I think I think I would have liked... I liked it. I was spoiled. And I, oh, I, yeah. I'm, glad I, I'm glad I was spoiled for the draw because I was really interested to see how that would get there. Whereas I think if I didn't know there was a draw, I think it might have started to get... Uh, right. A little tedious, but I really like that um, Kano Nakajima match. Right. Uh, We're so just doing free on Wrestle uh, Universe. Yes, that's it. right. Free Night 1 is free on Wrestle Universe. It's true. All right, so last thing here before I can wrap it up the card for the next Noah and One Night, Night 3 on Tuesday, September 22nd from Korokin. Opens up with Mohamed Yone and Kenya Okada versus Manabu Soya and Yoshiki Inamura. Uh, the first tournament match is in the B block. Kano, who's still looking for... His, oh, Kano and versus Shuei Tanaguchi, and they're both looking for the first win. They're both 0-1. Uh, the third match in the A block, Kaito Kiyomiya, well, there's one point against Masa Kinemiya, who has zero points. Match four, Ogawa, Kotaro Suzuki, and Hayata versus Tadasuke, Hao, and Nio. Uh, match five in the A block, Goshi Ozaki versus Kazuchi Sakuraba. That's a big match. They're both at two points, and of course... Sakuraba tapped go out in a tag match leading up to the tournament, so it's like Go's chance for revenge here. And the main event, a old school Noah clash here, now in the B block. Now Michi Marafuji, who's at one and zero against Takashi Sugera, who's at two and zero, the only two and zero wrestler right now. So that should be pretty interesting. 
definitely interested, interested to see what they do there. So definitely looks like a good card on paper. I think that is a, that's a fun that's a fun looking card. Yeah, I I thought I orig- I thought some of those matches were a part of the fight show. No, I guess they're not. I think it's a, the, the afternoon fight show looks kind of crappy actually, which is kind of weird. They picked the wrong one. The evening one looks good, and the afternoon one looks kind of bad. Oh, it's the afternoon one on fire. Yeah. Oh come on! <laughs> they picked the wrong one. <laughs> so we'll get into that as we get to the uh, rest of the tournament. But yeah, one last plug again for the Wrestling Omakase Patreon. Uh, we have All Japan Champion Carnival Night 4 tomorrow for patrons. Noah N1 Victory Night 3 only for patrons. Uh, the Triple Header New Japan G1 Night 3 and the Afternoon and Night Shows for patrons on Wednesday the 23rd and Thursday the 24th for patrons only. The New Japan G1 Night 4 from Sapporo. So should be a lot of fun. That's the Naito Zack Sabre Jr. main event. So excited to talk, see that one and talk about that one. It, such great chemistry in 2018. So, uh, but yeah, yeah, really looking forward to that one. That's that's like I I'm I got a bit sick of uh, Zack Sabre Jr. a little bit, but I'm like after after his match on Sunday, I'm really looking forward to that main event. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. All right, uh, go ahead and give me your plugs, man. What you got to plug? I've really got I've really got nothing <laughs> on. I've, I mean, I've got a private Twitter account. I don't really, I don't really tweet that much. But I guess when you see uh, some of my reviews on the Voices of Wrestling, give them a give them a click and give them a read, and hopefully, hopefully, I can convince you to either watch a show or, you know, you get get what you need out of those. But other than that, thank you very much for having me on, John. Uh, it was a real pleasure. Yeah, thanks for coming on. I had a great time. Uh, and of course, thank you everybody for listening. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Russell Omakase. Wrestling would not fit. And we will see you next time.